like that whole stadium truck experience to bring him over and then I still remember the first test in one. I wasn't driving him at all and then uh, I was flying up the Gold Coast to work and they're like, well, there's a spare truck and we need someone to drive it. And the, the, to get your head around hitting that ramp and mm. so the first one you back off mm. and because it's all sorts of wrong. And and then Robbie's like, "Can we swear on this?" Yeah, he's like, yeah. You can say whatever. "Fuck, dude! What the <laughs> fuck, you pussy!" That's exactly. What he said. <laughs> and so he taught you. Do you just you you actually when you drive it, it's like a um, like a motorbike. Yeah. So you want a little button off, and then as you hit the ramp, hit the accelerator, and in the air, you either hit the brake or hit the throttle to drop the back, or pitch the nose. So, but the biggest thing is the way they service the bushes and the wheels. So. Wheels are like 46 kilos each. So if one drops quicker than the other, it would turn the truck in the air. So at times you would be looking at the sky or coming down, you'd be almost thinking you get a front flip and nosedive because the things would move around in the air. And mm. that would that was a scare. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to On The Couch With Hooli. This is Australia's number one motorsports podcast where we interview motorsport personalities from all sides of the track, both locally and internationally. Whether it's two or four wheels, flat or dirt tracks, we get to know their stories. Hang on, Hooli. I just want to point out some key information for our listeners. What makes this podcast different is your host, Hooli, is a racing champion himself. That's definitely true. I ask the questions others might miss who don't have the experience behind the wheel. And a big kicker that makes us so different from the others is we're not here to get the latest headlines. Yes, we cannot emphasise that enough. We want to hear stories, lessons learned, challenges faced, the highs and lows, but we don't want to bully, pester or in general be assholes to our guests. Well, that's enough from us. So let's get into it and hear it from our next guest, Beyond the Helmet. On today's episode, we've got Utes legend Craig Dantas. These days, he's known for being a part of the supercars landscape as the head of commercial sales and sponsorships. You will hear about Craig's racing career from start to finish in production cars, stadium super trucks, Aussie racing cars, Trans Am, V8 Utes and into the Super Utes. We also get into the politics of the current V8 supercars climate, handling anxiety, sponsorship, NASCAR, and a hell of a lot more. So let's get straight into it with the man himself, Craig Dantas. I guess we'll, what were we talking about upstairs? About just the, like, obviously, actually, you know what? I've got a perfect way to start, perfect place to start is you were saying that basically the supercar guys weren't literally doing anything today. Yeah. Uh, they were, yeah. You, were, you were just thinking of ideas what they could do while they literally just play, I don't know, I saw Chaz Mostert playing table tennis. Yeah, they, they looked like lost puppies a little bit today. Like I was talking to a couple of the mechanics and uh, yeah. a couple of the drivers and they were just sort of shooting the breeze because they sort of like hurry up and wait, which is what motorsport is, isn't it? You know, yeah. just sort of get there and then you've got time to wait. But they're all there. Yeah. What do we call to see them on track? Yeah, 100%. So maybe uh, like a co-driver session. I think you said a test and tune or an all-in. Yeah. Uh, maybe we have a fan the fan jumps in and drives. That'd be pretty cool. But, um, <laughs> or they all swap cars and just, uh, yeah. oh, yours is better or mine's not so good. <laughs> is, is this micro right? Yep, it's all yep. good. Yep. All right. 
Cool. Just checking. Just yeah, we're good. As yeah. you can tell, Craig, you haven't obviously seen the other studio. You were talking yeah. to Elliot Barber. Who else were you talking to? Uh, Cammy Crick. Cammy Crick. Yeah, well, yeah, there's another yeah. one. Yeah. Um, you, people may, may be watching this this new show, even though it's still the same show. It is a bit of a different um, setup behind us. Uh, but Craig, yeah. So as we were saying before, there's obviously the guys were not doing anything at Sydney Motorsport Park. Me as a race fan anyway today because – I was waiting to talk to Brooke Stockter about her endosurgery, for example, and I was just hoping to turn on Fox Hill and something was going to be on. But <laughs> they just – did they not film just the support classes in the meantime just to start a supercars broadcast on the Friday? Yeah, look, um, being part of the journey through COVID, I think when they popped out, they tried to um, make events like this more efficient, so the super sprint sort of format, so mm. TV production, um, what we did with sort of – hard costs on fans and fan integration. But the thing is they have opened it up to a bit more normality now. I'll just bring yeah. um, more into the line in for you. There cool. you go. Yep, trap for young players. Um, <laughs> but also from a cost cutting with the supercar teams not to be on track. But this weekend is full of supports. It's the biggest support card of the year. So yep. I think to give their supports ample track time, it's, it's all about today. So you saw a lot of practice and qualifying. Um, so the fans that did come, they saw a lot, huge amount of variety. I mean, S5000 were there, GT, um, obviously Utes, uh, were there as well. And, and, um, also the Toyota 86. So it's still a, a massive support car, but tomorrow, obviously they try and cram a lot into the night side of it. So, um, yeah, massive day for the supercar guys, like many sessions in small amounts of time. So. Yeah, if you're a ticket fan, and Sydney we've found and I've found over the years it's hard to get people to come out to the track, especially Friday. Um, so if you can entice them to come out for one day, Saturday's the day, I reckon. Yeah, Saturday's the day. Yep. For me, um, Brooke and I have spoken about this just because of the state racing and all that. I think what Eastern Creek struggles with, and I think some people might agree on this podcast, is in like Catalonia in, in, in Spain, right, they don't have like a train station near it or, or – buses really to go out there like they have like in northern beaches here the b-line and stuff i think the thing that eastern creek struggles with to get fans to the track and just general racing in supercars is they just don't have enough public transport for yep. sydney yep. yeah 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 you're right i'm from south australia so yeah. same buses trains are terrible so it's it's like uh tail and bend it's in the middle of nowhere uh well i say nowhere it's Again, an hour in a in a car in Sydney versus an hour in a car in, in, in Adelaide, it's it's miles. You're in a different almost like in a different country. But um yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to get to. And imagine if you I mean, as I've got a fabulous Hawks beer here, if you want to have a couple of beers <laughs> and enjoy some supercar action, you, you can't drive and and then get home. So yeah, I suppose it's um yeah. That's probably one of the things is to drive versus get some public transport will be Way easier. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get to know a bit more about like the Craig Dantas. That's why I brought you on here. I know I was actually very Brooke and I were very eager to bring you bring you here for how how many months has it been? To I think it's been more than months. I was going to say yeah. when, when you started, I remember last year yeah, trying been, to get yeah. Craig on and was always like telling me oh, I've been trying to. Yeah. <laughs> I do that to everyone. It's we even talked about it last Bathurst when we were there at the one thousand. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. But you know what happened? It bottlenecked because I asked. I wanted Craig on first, and then all the other Ute drivers tried to bottleneck, yep. like Roll Harris, and <laughs> you know everyone else started to bottleneck behind you. So I was like, I've got to be fair. I asked Craig first, yep. and then others can come on later. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being for choosing me to be the first. But yeah, I. I uh, yeah, probably hard at times to knuckle down, but it's. I think we were just talking before. I've got a fair bit on my plate with um, number one being an adult and having kids and family, but 
work, travel, everything else. So uh, to lock me down into one place at one time, you've done well. Yeah. With your, with your family and stuff like that, though, um, I've got to ask because, like, Brooke and I have seen you at Bathurst and obviously we'll come out to the creek tomorrow, but is it hard to juggle between, as you said, family life? You do come up to Sydney every now and then to the supercars office, don't you? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you travel here. You live in Adelaide. Do you travel to Melbourne as well for it? Travel everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So um, there are periods where I'm on a plane every week, every second week. So, yeah, I sort of – from a, who I am and what I do now, I, I, I work for Supercars, so we've got our main office in North Sydney, so that's sort of my second home. Um, there was a period of time where I was going to move here, but um, the big C word, COVID, got in the way, which, to be honest, blessing in, dis- in disguise. But, um, yeah, lots of travel. So, um, you know, the last 20 years I've been on the road quite a bit, off and on, but last five, six years, obviously, through racing and yep. then through working as my daily job as well, Huge amounts of travel. So, yeah, Sydney's second home. Yeah. Melbourne's probably third home. And then uh, Bris Vegas is fourth home. But Adelaide's number one. I'm pretty passionate about Good lifestyle there. <laughs> what's, your, what's your like, um, oh, I don't know how to say it. Like what's – you've got do – you, do you own Elliot Barber's car? Because I'm trying to understand like how does your race teams – or do you have like a percentage deal, like a, like a I don't know, a stake in, in, in the TA2 car or do you just help out – I know you're yeah. in the Ute's car, but how's how's all that work? Because yeah, you're close yeah. mates with, you know, Adam, as you said, upstairs. you got Elliot. You know, you've helped out Cricky. But with your cars, do you own a Trans Am car or does Elliot's dad own that? And how's that all work? Yeah, so, well, uh, to be honest, the, the original plans were myself and Elliot to go uh, Trans Am racing. But um, the, the, the shift in the, the network and the stand streaming sort of cut, cut our opportunity there. So Elliot's car is Elliot's car. Uh, him yeah. and his... Uh, Father purchased that one. I, I helped um, just with them acquiring it through Dream Racing. It was actually, I think, the car I drove in Adelaide a few years ago. Um, but more for me, I'm Elliot's one of my best mates. I'm actually in his wedding in a couple of months' time. We we did our suit fitting this week and probably yeah. spent more of the day drinking beer than actually doing anything serious. But um, <laughs> you know, I just I huge huge respect for EB. We've been mates um, and colleagues for many years and. Through our or through my relationship with Pioneer um, and the wonderful guys at Pioneer, uh, the CEO is a massive fan of Trans Am. So it was a perfect fit to have Pioneer on a Trans Am. So essentially, I look after the commercial stuff and EB does uh, the driving and the preparation stuff. So uh, all around good bloke, but together we're, we're good mates and we just go have a bit of fun with that one. Yeah. Now, I was doing a bit of research on you earlier in the week and we saw the the Shan, remember the Shannon Supercar Showdown? Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> I cop some stick at work about that one, not the you know, they they finally cottoned onto it. Yeah. On we do have the opportunity to watch that. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm still cheesed off with that. I, I um you know, obviously it was a really cool opportunity to go and do it. And, yeah. You know, that was years ago and I was old then. Um but you know, I probably if I had it taken a tad more seriously. You know, could have won that that thing, but yeah. the criteria wasn't for an old guy to win it. I think we were there more for the fluff and the and the feel good. And and look, where Todd, you know, Todd obviously got it in the end there, and it was more. Um, I think he was all, already under the the radar of of Tim Edwards as well. But you know, spent some good time with um, Bryony, who I now work with at Supercars across, on the TV. But then with Frosty and 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 Will and 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 Davy Reynolds, we had a we had a great time. So there was a couple of behind the scenes things which. Um, was pretty funny one night, uh, and there was a couple of policies there because we had some kids under eighteen. But yeah. 
I might have snuck out and snuck out to uh, a young Nathan Pretty's 40th and got in a bit of trouble. Um, so that, that was one thing I got in trouble there and I might might have let some of the led some of the younger guys astray uh, every night because, as I said before, I'm a big believer of, you know, relaxing and celebrating the day and I might have, uh, yeah, led, led some of the young kids astray. Yeah. What was it like actually being on a reality TV show? Because for memory, I th- is that the only time like supercars or I, I wouldn't know because I'm – you might have a bit more knowledge of me than this, but has there been any other sort of shows like that or was it the first of its kind? Um, yeah, I think oh, here in Australia, yeah, uh, 100%. I think it was probably at a higher production at the start because remember the Kellys and Kelly Racing had a big part of it and then it sort of transitioned more to, a, to uh, I think, Bruin and, and, and the guys ran it um, post that one. So, yeah, it was, to, to be honest, it was a cool experience. Like I, I actually enjoyed it because it was a, a week off of work. Um, I had a newborn at home, so as much as my wife hated me being away, I got some sleep, so it was fantastic. Um, it wasn't glamorous, though, because we stayed out at Calder Park in the middle of winter, so it was like Antarctic out there, and it rained all week, and the wind blew away, blew us away some days, and every every day we'd set up to do a, a potentially, obviously, a, a an exercise. You know, we'd get flooded out, and we'd have to sort of ad hoc it, so it was um, – it was pretty funny, but at the you know it was it was cool. Like you, you think about experiences in life. Um, every now and then, I'll bring it up at home. You know, I wasn't reality TV, and that's not really <laughs> fake. Like the amount of shots and takes, and you see the effort that goes into putting in a show like that, and then the end result. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Have you ever thought of like now that you're on on board with supercars, opposed to back then? Yep. Did you ever think of bringing something back to that? In a way, like Drive to Survive have done. Oh, well, could be like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look. Um, I think the world's changed a lot since then as well. Like you think about just social media and how how far forward that has come, and the way people consume their, you know, in their spare time. You're watching Netflix and you're watching all the different streaming ones. I think there could be an opportunity to do it, but how you would, I suppose, do it from a supercars perspective is you need support from a network or a production company. Um, but there's definitely an opportunity. Yeah, never say never. I think um, everything goes in circles. So there'll they'll be like a search for a superstar again at some stage, I reckon. Yeah. There's obviously like, there's obviously fans, as you've seen on the internet, a lot of motorsport fans, negative and positive. Yep. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> they're passionate. Yeah, they're passionate. <laughs> passionate. Yeah, they're passionate. So obviously the Holden and the Ford things disappeared and we'll go to your Ute days because we'll that's why I originally brought you on here to talk about, a bit about you yourself as well. But um. The Holden and Ford things disappeared and now the Chevy thing's coming up. Is people are saying that supercars has lost their way or, you know, the Ute series is dis- dif- different. Do you feel that there's a bit of that change or do you think that they're just trying to readjust in a way? Um, look, um, obviously being a part of the journey from start to finish uh, with Ford, Ford and Holden and I still remember Holden, obviously the announcement and that come to us as a bit of a shock, believe it or not. So we, we thought we had a little bit further or more time with them. Um, I think where we sit right now, it's, it's a, a perfect storm. Um, I've got kids and they, they didn't grow up with manufacturer because they had so many where uh, myself and probably yourself too, we grew up with essentially with Ford Holden, maybe a little bit of Nissan um, and, and Toyota and, and probably Mitsubishi too. We were making cars in Australia. So, mm. Our kids haven't haven't even experienced that. So I think where we're going is, and I say generation, I think we're prepping ourselves for Gen Z. The, the kids, 
now look at the cars as they recognise them where the old cars, the, the Mustang was a Mustang but wasn't really a Mustang. It sort of was a Mustang and the Commodore. So I think even the last generation of supercar didn't really have that same manufacturer focus as where we were with, the, I think, Project Blueprint and the, the VEs, which were cool, and the the, the Falcons that were, were cool too. It, it wasn't right. It wasn't a real Commodore and yeah. it wasn't a real Mustang. So the fact we've gone to a real Camaro and we've gone to a real Mustang, I reckon we're on the right track and the opportunity then to bring more manufacturers in. So, um, you know, just sitting there and seeing what our numbers are indexing, we're going the right way with the car. Um, obviously, there was a big P, P word parody, um, but they're, they're fixing that. But you can't make wholesale changes without upsetting everyone. So they're just making fundamental steps to get it to the right place. And I think the fact that Anton won in Townsville was a step in the right direction. It's only small things, but um, I know I probably digress there, but I think we're on the right track. 100% you got cars that are cooler. Just visually, they look cooler. Um, they've got the ability when they're racing together. I think the racing is a bit more aggressive. The setup window is smaller and they're harder to drive. So you're seeing more winners. So it's taken a little bit of that predictability away from it. The good teams will always rise. There's always a cream rise to the top. But the fact you've got Jack LeBrock up there winning, you've got um, obviously Brad Jones racing with Andre back up there consistently up the front as well and Erebus, the team to beat. I think that's a step in the right direction. So um, in short, I think we're on the right track. It's still going to take a bit of time to get used to. And, you know, the the dream is more manufacturers, isn't it, with with cool cars. It's not manufacturer racing anymore. It's motorsport entertainment. So as long as people turn the TV on or want to come to the track and they're entertained, then we're winning. Mm. I would like I would like because I'm a huge NASCAR fan, as yep. I posted on social media a lot, like – in, in obviously SVG just went over there and won, but as you said, more manufacturers. Could you see like a Toyota Super joining the series? Because TRD does, well, you know, the Bateses and all that work with the eighty six series. Do you reckon that they could influence another brand into the series, as you said later? Because that what we have now is basically, you know, you know, more room to add more manufacturers. Really, yeah, uh, I'm I'm very confident that in the future, yes, um, the cars and the categories set up now that it's almost a marketing exercise rather than a manufacturing exercise so it's a badge so you know the before if you look at history with uh, the Merc and Volvo it's quite expensive and even Nissan to get in where now it's relatively cheaper to have a obviously a different manufacturer come in so it's perfectly set up for it and there are you know there are manufacturers that would be definitely looking at it so yes I think having a Supra would be Ace, I reckon that'd be pretty cool. Even having a, a you know an M3 BMW or a you know dare say it, a Kia Stinger or something <laughs> cool like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, yeah. I went over to the US and there were Kias racing in, in their touring car series, and I, I thought they were cool. Yeah. So, Where'd you go over there? Um, this was uh, oh, this was a number of years ago. Short, you know, um, I went over current, previous role working for the motorsport board or SA government. We were we went over there on a, on a fact finding mission or a junket, you know, depending on what you call it. And, I actually went over there and we unearthed the stadium super truck. So that was yeah, one, one reason right. why we went over. Um, I remember sitting there with my my old boss saying, check out these. Um, and he's like, wow. Um, I said, I'm going to catch up with the guys over there and we're going to bring them to Australia. He's like, nah, nah. And then, you know, I reckon after two days up there and we spoke to Robbie, we, we got them back and yeah. we made it work. So that was, you know, something pretty cool in, in life to, to bring a category like that to Australia when we were told it won't work and it was highly successful at the time, but 
having a look at what they do in the US, that they race anything. So you look at Camry in in NASCAR, and for them, yes, it's it's not a V eight. They don't produce a V eight, but um, I've heard stories that it's probably been one of their most successful marketing campaigns to build brand loyalty in very much a patriotic, you know, Detroit country yeah. that they've built a brand presence and a sales footprint through NASCAR and they don't even sell a V8 Camry. So yeah, it works. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And um, for like in with NASCAR, obviously you've got Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki going over the, for the IndyCar. Yep. For the, not the IndyCar. <laughs> well, IndyCar is racing yeah, at the same, yeah, the same So weekend. Scott's yeah. racing that that same weekend. Yep. Is it actually good for us Aussies to have that influence? Because I think, Brooke, you said that Chase Elliott Chase Elliott was saying this week that he wants to see like supercars all come over. He's like, open the doors, let them over. He said it, his reason was, he said, it makes us better drivers. And after seeing like what Shane did, he didn't know Shane was coming back, then heard it, then heard about Brody and said, open the doors. And I was saying to Dan, I can see people also like Cam Waters going over in there and doing it. You know, different people who've already done also not just the supercars, but he's been in Speedway. You know, they've got sort of that different diverse background in that. Um, Do you think that we're going to start to lose a lot of talent there? But do we have the talent to back it up? And I say this because there's so many roadblocks here at the moment with the super licenses. So the question is, is our own system blocking our talent from coming through? Because we just lost late Nathan Hearn to the States, who is an amazing driver. They wouldn't let him in. So he's now working his way to NASCAR from the States angle rather than from Australia because it just wasn't going to work. Yeah, it's. um, I think we'll lose more drivers, 100%. Even if it's not full-time, you're going to see more drivers get over there because – Number one, there's more money. Um, so like like anything, you, you're a professional athlete. You go where, where the money is and the opportunity. But it puts us on the map worldwide in terms of world-class drivers. I think everyone knew that our, our category was pretty damn good. But the fact that our guys can go over there and adapt. I mean, obviously, Perfect Storm, it's a first street track. It's, you know, um, the first time he was in. But in a track that no one had a, a massive advantage, I think, Las Vegas, not Las, it's not Las Vegas, um, Indy, sorry. Yeah. Always say that. <laughs> As you said, there's so many tracks over yeah. there. <laughs> For the Indy road course, they've already got data from there, so I don't think it's going to be as easy. But, you know, the hill-toe method is something that is huge for, you know, if you think about, um, and I talked to a lot of the Trans Am guys, same thing is, you know, they're designed to drive with two feet. So your left foot brake, your right foot accelerate. But that does, on time with the dog box or their down change, is activating the rear tyre. Um, so the fact that the hill toe method works so well on preserving that tire and and making the car more drivable on a road course um, is why we've got that advantage. So I think it won't take long for a NASCAR guys to pick up on what we're doing and catch up pretty quickly. I'd like to see some of the NASCAR guys come here. Yeah. So yeah. and maybe we have these weekends where we have wildcard cars that we do international swaps but the question is do they need a super license everyone's saying that was brought up by a lot of people i know peter adderton's been very vocal (laughs) a lot of others one of our passionate fans yeah i know right (laughs) (laughs) buddies with ryan (laughs) the question is though would that be an issue because if they're not allowing the aussies um, drivers to do it why would you disallow an international in yeah potentially i mean unless there's status points for international races who knows yeah it's yeah it's a it's an interesting one. Obviously, it's a motorsport Australia thing and what they do. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't totally get the super license thing, yeah. to be honest. I think the days of the privateer is gone, obviously, but I still think you need to give everyone the opportunity. But 
pathway is pathway, so it's got to be some sort of uh, standard or quality because you don't you imagine if you got someone who didn't have the super license super license status get in and and cause a catastrophe and take out people's championships. You don't want that, so it's got to be some sort of standard. But maybe the criteria at the moment is a tad too tough. Do you get super license points for racing in super utes like Aaron Borg, for example? Uh, he's I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. So- that's some thinking. And the question is: Is there a pathway from super utes to supercars, or do you just do it to race separately? And if you want to go to supercars, you got to go to two or three. Yeah, because when you were racing at the start, you were basically you watched the stuff on on yeah. YouTube, but you wanted to go to supercars, and the easiest Correct. way to do that was back then the old school utes, which is awesome. Yeah, and, you know, which is what super utes is trying to replicate. Um, that was it. Paid pretty much in like a straight way to go to supercars back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, you'd race the tracks. You'd hopefully get partners on board and look after them. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think obviously they've designed it so that you need to funnel through Super Two or Super Three and Super Two. Um, mm, I don't know. I think it probably needs to be loosened up. But it's a, it's a controversial thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad I'm not. Trying to do that anymore, to be honest. I'm glad I'm at the, the other end of the stick. It's to be honest, it's everything comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah. So the problem is, if you had gone through that whole path to get there, and I had some heated discussions in Townsville with some people about this. So at the moment, they probably can't just chop it because then the people who've invested that money to do it is they'd be peeved if. Then, oh, it's all open again. Why didn't we do that? So they've got to have some sort of standard and maybe they need to have a tiered category where there's three categories that have an X amount of points and it's almost like a, a stair a staircase or a ladder that you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question you asked was talent. Do we have enough? Like if you look at last year in the pathway, I look at it as a ceiling and you've really got to punch that ceiling to get through into main game. Now Declan Fraser got through and Cameron Hill come through now. Yes, they got through. They, they they probably had to pay their way a little bit with with sponsorship and getting there, but they've paid their way to get there through running the Triple Eight Super Two program as well. So, if more drivers are looking to go overseas, is that going to help our pathway because it'll open up seats? Yeah, true. So then you may look at teams then looking at investing more like Erebus and what Walkinshaw are doing now with their academies. Mm-hmm. So you've got. Like I walked down pit lane today and obviously you've got um, Walkinshaw now with a Toyota 86 in in a junior development. So Erebus do their junior academy as well. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise where it could open up more seats in main game without having to then find more money. So if you think about running in Super 3, what's it going to cost you? Three, $400,000 a year without damage? Super 2, um, half a million, seven hundred. Then you've got to go find a million bucks to get into main game. Well, maybe that's not what you're going to need. There will be seats coming up. Yeah. So um could be positive. Who knows? But I'd like to see more opportunities for young guys, but then it's on us and everyone else in media to focus more on building up the personalities so then when they get to main series, they're a little bit more household names rather than really this year, if you look at poor you know, Decker or or even Cam Hill, they're sort of lost a little bit, they don't get a lot of media and you don't really know them. We don't know them. We don't know their personalities greatly. So we probably need to focus more on developing media in Super 2 to create more personality. Then they've got a profile and they get into the main game as well. So, yeah. Yeah, because we had Cam Hill on the show and I think that's what I said to Dan, what they don't see now. We've seen him this year in Super um, Cars. 
he's such a great storyteller. He, he's great at talking and just, you know, when he's there and that, but we just don't see him in supercars, that personality coming through, which is crazy because I guess Dan knew him before and then we've had him on there and that. And I said to Danny, they miss a lot of that with some of them because they focus sometimes too much on others and not go, getting around the paddock and talking to well, others. Even but, even we've had Cricky on here. Cricky's like a character. Oh, he's great. You know, like he's a bit yeah. like his yes. dad. Do you know what I mean? You could he share a room with him. He doesn't yeah. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no disrespect to Cam and Decker as well because they're great guys. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, obviously we all know him personally because we're in the game, but um, they sort of get – you know, under the radar. Yeah. Um, and it maybe takes two or three years for, like, you look at now Brycey Forward, he's, he's and, and Todd Hazelwood, they've earned their place to be there. They've had the results and, and they're sort of a bit hardened. Um, so, and they're, they're well known, but it, it's on them. They'll, they'll get there. They've got some great investors behind them as well who are passionate. So, if, they, if they've got the support mechanisms, I think in time they'll build their profiles. But what's next? We've got some really good guys in Super 2 who, Geez, you'd love to see him in mate, like Young Wood, who dominated in in WA, and then you've got Kai Allen and Cooper Murray. There's some good guys. So, yeah. if anything, man, you need to need to see how they get through. If you have a look at the podium at Perth, it was Brock Feeney, um, Will Brown, and Brody Kostecki, all guys that have gone through that pathway, mm. and it was the youngest podium I think in history. So. And they come through that way and they built profile, but it took them time as well. So, yeah, I don't know. But in short, I think with some guys going overseas, it opens up the opportunity to help open up or ease up that pathway. Yeah. yeah. I've, got to, I've got to go throw it back to you, though, because we're talking about pathways. Yep. You tried to get into supercars. You did do – was it a supercar test or you tested with a – Team, but a lot long stories and yeah. missed opportunities. Well, so you, you yeah. you, yep. the, the people would like to hear, like the fans would love to hear how, you know, how hard it is to get even back then, like a supercars test and that. Like, so what did you start in go karts first? Yeah, yeah, uh, go karts. Actually, my first race, believe it or not, I, I we dabbled in karting. Like, dad would take us up, and I used to have to beg him, geez. And then we got rid of everything, <laughs> and then I finally, um, in my early teens, I talked him into getting me another one, which is cool, and started to show a bit of promise. I actually did a school competition where I raced all the dads. Really? And smoked them. It was awesome, <laughs> you know. Um, but obviously I had a weight advantage. I was, you know, I'm not big now, but I was a lot smaller back then. So um, it was pretty pretty tough. There was one or two hard charges in that. And from there I ended up doing, remember the Grand Prix back in Adelaide? Like, yeah. Again, Adelaide, God's country. I'm not going to say that too much. <laughs> but the Adelaide Grand Prix. And, and Dad had a corporate box there. So we had a – they did corporate carts back in the day. And yeah. I said, I want to race it. And uh, so we had to get approval because I was underage. And it was like four grand back then. And dad said, well, I'm not going to pay for you to do it, but you go find the money and I'll match it dollar for dollar thinking, eh, you're not going to get it. And so I basically got all my mate's dads. And yeah. One was a bank manager, so I got them to put some money in and hit up some other people and got the money together. So I raced this corporate car. So my first ever race was in front of the Australian Grand Prix crowd. So oh, wow. the Sunday was 120,000 people. I got interviewed on the grid and I shit myself. <laughs> and I was leading that race up until the last corner and got biffed off. Oh, so, no. But that got got the passion to go, shit, I'm, I actually like this and I want to do it. And so uh, we ended up not going into sprint carts. I ended up going super carts. And, and the, the reason behind that was dad said, well, you're going to be racing at Malala, you'll be racing at Phillip Island. And if you ever want to make a career out of it, you're going to be on those tracks already. And you got... So I ended up building in my school um, apprenticeship with the cart builder an ADCC supercar. 
it was a beautiful handcrafted weapon, and and that's what I uh, ended up doing. I ended up running the um, state titles and then the Australian titles and supercarts for uh, a number of years, and, and had some success. You who was who was your chassis builder? Because isn't, um, isn't a mega from there uh, in South Australia? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so this uh, this guy was actually um, SKS Supercar Shop, and he was just an old school dude that was awesome at fabrication and the thing had all adjustability it was you know it was a rocket like and then we we ported this engine one day and he he was one of these guys who just made shit up and he slipped (laughs) and the the thing had like four horsepower more than anything he'd ever built so the thing was a weapon but the the ability to have my weight as well we could gear it a different way and it really brought a new driver style so we sort of brought a lot of competition into that so i remember my first nationals at phillip island there were like 50 carts and we we finished third there, which sort of took everyone by surprise with some of these old school dudes. Um, and, yeah, just from there, just had a ball and, and learned a lot. And that was probably why um, I sort of kept on doing what I did because I had a good time in supercarts. It wasn't as cutthroat as the sprint cart thing. Um, I didn't get to race against a lot of the guys I would race against later on, but it taught me respect with older people. It taught me car setup. Um I used to prep it myself um, with a, a friend, a really close friend, Kenny, as well, and just used to prep it out the back of our, our shed at home. So it was cool, really cool. And I did it up until 99, so I was almost almost 19. Yeah. So when did you start Supercarts? How old were you there? I was 16. 16, so, 16 to 19. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And yep. so you just didn't do – you basically just went from that the Adelaide yep. Grand Prix straight to Supercarts. Yep. Hundred yeah. percent. And then yeah. after that, what was your next step? Uh, into production car. So yep. uh, Adelaide five hundred. Come back again. Yeah, God's country, Adelaide. <laughs> Common theme here, but it was a big thing getting the Adelaide five hundred back after we lost the Grand Prix. And yep. um, I, I remember going, "Geez, I'd like to race there." And ended up um, renting a drive in a Suzuki Swift in the GTP category. Yes, yes. yes. And talk about an initiate. I never did a test in the car. Yep. Never driven a race car, and I that was my first event. I conned the guys at CAMS, yeah. um, beautiful CAMS people, um, <laughs> to upgrade my license because yeah. I'd run some state and national titles in cars. So they're like, yeah, well, you can have your car license. And uh, I remember, yeah, sitting on the grid, there was Jim Richards and Peter Fitzgerald, and I'm at Adelaide and driving this $5 Suzuki Swift. Um, <laughs> it was a really, really high-level team. It was called Bi-Drive. So, yeah. you know. It was, you would have uh, raced my stepdad Jeff back then in uh, the GDP Nations Cup. Yeah, the yeah. GDP, it, was, it was pro car back then, wasn't it? It was pro car, yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, It was a big series back it then. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, I still watch that now because I'm a big fan of Japanese 90s cars and I look at those Evos going, why would you want to wreck them? But, um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, yeah, got into cars. And then so I did a, a year in that. Um, and it was okay, um, but then we ended up uh, building our own car. We, we bought a Commodore. It was a written-off Commodore. I remember picking up from the auctions and doing some skids in the back lane near work. And uh, so we ran our first three years in production cars from our back shed at home. Yeah, right. So did your dad have any background in racing or anything or were you guys just picking it up as you go? No, nah, we, we did. Yeah. Um, it, it was a weird one. Dad was more into so um, he was actually we were family friends with Peter Brock. So oh, you were family friends yeah, with Peter yeah, Brock. Yeah, I just yeah. thought you idolized. Like no, I just thought no, you no. Up. He, we, they were really close. So I yeah. went to his house, and um, Dad used to hang out at Birdie Street back yeah. in the day. And then uh, when they moved as well, and um, even helped him out obviously through the tough times. So here's an interesting fact: he was yeah. sitting with so Peter was sitting with Dad at the 
87 Grand Prix in November in the corporate box. They used to have a herbal tea, as they do. Um, and he got the phone call to say he'd won the court case for the 87 Bathurst. The yeah, win. right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was sitting with Dad that day. Wow. So, and we had, um, so this is how close they were. Dad, we had his anon X at home for months and yep. then um, his 87 VL at home too. So Dad used to head up his, and this is, I look at now, like we used to have, you know, in school photos where people had nice clothes, I had the HDT Marlboro or mobile yeah. HDT, like it was pretty bad. We were, we were those kids, you yeah, know, all yeah. the merch. Um, but Dad was like the the, the HDT Owners Club, you know, he helped organise that and he did a lot of private sort of support and sponsorship and especially when he lost all the, the backing from Holden, he actually helped get his money together to run the Adelaide Grand Prix in his VL for the last time and and just stayed connected. And then HSV. I've got to ask about a Brocky thing since you were close to him. I, I watched the, the you know the TV shows on him and stuff like that. What was the what, did you did you were you around back then when he had the dime? What was the the that thing in the polarizer. car? The polarizer. The um, polarizer. My dad was the agent for it. Really? We oh, still wow. got him at home. Are you serious? Yeah. They got the polarizer. Yeah, he was a believer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, we the dad was an agent for him. No yeah. word of a lie. And wow. we still got we still got him at home. And to be honest, um, We've still we've just finished restoring. So this is how close Dad was. Peter hand built a wag VK wagon for my mum. That was our. So Dad had the blue mini, and he had literally the same car in a wagon, and it was hand built by HDT. Wow! And we've got it at home. We've just restored it, and then my brother's got a VL from Commodore, and they're still. Yeah, I mean, I I probably learn a lot about some of the truths about him and everything later on and getting into the industry, it's not as fluffy as what it was. But, yeah, my my dad and my brothers idolised. We all did. You yeah. know, it was pretty – we grew up around Larry Perkins, Peter Brock, all these guys. It was a wicked, wicked upbringing. Yeah. Um, but every holiday was at a bloody racetrack. So that was the only sad thing. But um, – Shouldn't say that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, was yeah. it? It's a living now. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, as much as I give dad and my brothers a hard time now, if, if if it wasn't for his passion, I wouldn't be doing what I do and it provides a living. So it's pretty cool. Do you get exhausted by it? Like obviously I've heard on other podcasts because I'm a big fan of Dale Jr. He talks about some drivers where they just, once they retire, like you've just, you've just literally retired last year, right? That's it for them. Like they Go into the abyss. Um, Ambrose is a good example. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but then, like yourself, you've retired. Do you still have that hunger even now? Just to turn out for the job. Like myself, I would find it a bit of a struggle because I'd be like, it's too much. Do you know what I mean? Too much of a good thing. Yeah, because it's a drug. Like racing's a drug, right? But my my role's very different now. Um, to be honest, I'm so done with driving, and that's yeah. it's it's. I actually I'm hard on myself because like, why don't I want to get back in? But right at the end, the and I haven't opened up about it a lot is I suffered a lot of anxiety because I couldn't do everything. So yeah. I really enjoy the job I do, which is I'm passionate about motorsport and I love, you know, I want to leave a legacy or at least help grow and make the, the experience for everyone better. So I actually love what I do. It's really weird. I, I love going to a racetrack. Um, that's the 10% of cool is a racetrack and see it all evolve. It's the 90% of shit that you deal with through the week is is a hard one. You know, I, I wake up every day and I talk about supercars and car racing and it does get a lot, but I love it. So it's not, you know, it's passion. And a lot of people in our business in supercars, there's passion there. Um, so it doesn't get too much. The driving was getting too much because that takes a lot of focus and a lot of commitment and I wasn't giving it that. And I was letting a lot of people down because, 
you get out of the car and you've got no time to think about going faster. You rock up to a track, track and you're half shagged already. And I was listening to a podcast and I remember sitting at Tassie last year and we had a great round. We, we were basically equal on points. Uh, we were off the front row and had an opportunity to win the round and I'd won a race and it was a bit of a return after COVID. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I don't really want to be here. So something tells you there and then that you're, you're pretty well done. Um, and, it, you know, I have a responsibility now with what I do with our commercial partners and the sport and you're going to let someone down if you're doing it all. So um, I'd still wake up and love it. I still love going to a racetrack as much as I whinge about it. And, you know, to sit on the grid at Townsville and, Newcastle and the work you put in and all the stuff you're trying to bring in new partners in and new experiences and seeing perfect example is stadium trucks. That was absolutely fantastic, that first event, because you've brought something that has enhanced the crowd experience. So you've actually contributed back to the whole outcome of what the sport is. Brooke looked into that, actually. You said you loved stadium trucks when you saw it, didn't you, Brooke? Oh, yeah, I was going to say that was like, yeah, that's an epic event that, you know, that you brought over here. Before we get into that, I just wanted to, for those who are listening and wondering, because I think we haven't mentioned it yet, you are, so if anyone's wondering what you're doing at Supercars, you're the head of commercial sales? Yeah, head of sponsorship yep. and sales. My boss gives me a hard time because I gave myself my own title, but it's uh, <laughs> it's bloody hard to explain. But essentially my job is if you, you look at supercars and you see the colour of names, so everything from Repco to BP to we had the thrifty Newcastle 500 to Bow Repairs uh, this weekend, uh, my job is to bring those partners in. Yeah. So, uh, And that comes in many forms. It's supply, so the beer you drink, the soft drink you drink, um, you know, the activations you see, and then uh, a lot of the broadcast integrations as well. So everything from a track map, which is Pete's Hut, which is really cool, uh, but it extends to a lot more than that now. There's a lot of stuff people don't see. So the main role, yes, supercars, doing a little bit of work now with some of the senior management on some career paths, some other category development stuff. So eventually I'd, I'd love to do more. So not just be the salesman yeah. um, and the sponsorship guy, it's it's having more of an influence Overall, one day I'd love to run the sport. I know it's a big call, but I think when you come from a racing background and you come from that side of the fence and then obviously you get good at the business side, if that marries together, I think you can do it really well. Yeah. How many years have you been with Supercars? Uh, coming up seven. So yeah. prior to that I was um, – this is so I was selling my own stuff. I Obviously, like anything, yeah. Bloody expensive to go racing. We well, all know that. I was I was taken back by with you, you said the go your first go kart race and your dad said you wanted to race that. Is that basically where it started? Like the commercial, what you're doing now? No, like, no, before like, that, I had a marble hunger. tray. I had a marble tray at school. Yeah, BMX tray. I had basketball <laughs> cards, Ninja Turtle. Cards. I've always been a dealer, a wheeler yeah. dealer. I still do marketplace stuff. My wife wants to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it did. It, it it taught me the value of money, and it it taught me the value of what you need to do to to get money to go racing because essentially it's a hobby or it's mm. a passion. So if you want someone to fund your passion and turn it into a career, you've got to turn it into a business. And mm. it's it's motorsport, but it's marketing. So it's marketing through motorsport, essentially. Yeah. yeah. The, the easiest part's driving though for me. Like I've yep. told that to other people. Like, you know, there is that fascination of people being like, I want to be a professional driver, but we all know like 2% of them get paid. Right. Yep. I yep. think sponsorships in anything is difficult, whether yeah. it's art, sport, whatever, everyone struggles with that unless you've got that, like like you you said 
Craig, you've got that ability to um, d- do that sales thing. I've got my, my sister-in-law is very good at it. She's in sales for pharma and yep. very, very good at it. It's something that we both suck at, mm. uh, Dan and I. <laughs> it's just a different thing because we come from creative backgrounds and that. So it's a different like sort of, you know, ability that you're used to and that um, in terms of that. But with what you're doing now, do you find also over the last seven years with supercars, has it, I know we've had COVID, but has it changed with sponsors? Are they more receptive to come on board? Like, Has there been challenges for you in the job over the last few years in terms of the game of supercars? Because there has been a lot of change in terms of how it's run. Um, were you there before when it was Ryan Sanderson running it and into it? Because there's been that change in also of how it's been marketed. So it's also looking at has that changed how sponsors are receptive to it? Um, I don't know, Sando. Good day, Sando. Um, <laughs> we are still trying to get him on. Board. Yeah, no, he's, he's good yarn too. Um, yeah. I I joined literally just after the Archer Capital takeover. Yeah, so okay. that pre-Archer was amazing because it was obviously more run like a – an events company and and so forth. Archer was, it was still good, but obviously when you you've got shareholders and having to bring a return, es- essentially what happens is the costs, uh, you know, your overheads you want to screw down, and make you know your, your gap for profit is bigger. So that probably at times is a detriment to the sport. Um, the biggest problem, obviously, was the time where the TV coverage was changed. You know, uh, the AFL deal took a lot of the sting out of the seven deal with with. Um, with um, like our, our broadcast and then obviously the switch to Foxtel, which I, like it, it upset a lot of people. But without that switch, I think the sport may not have survived. Yeah. Um, because like any major sport, AFL, NRL, it's based around your TV. Um, and without the right TV deal, it really struggles. Um, you know, it covers your salary cap or your dividends or your rec fees as well. So um, I think, again, where we are now that – COVID was actually a good thing for us because it probably brought more about shit. We need to focus on the personalities and we were the only live spot. I still remember the Grand Prix and then I remember how odd it was. It was like literally one day we had jobs, the next day it's like, oh, we're, we're done. We're all out of work. Um, and then, wait up, we've got this E-Series. So a core group of people come back to boot this E-Series up. Ah, oh, it should be all right. And it went ballistic. Yeah, um, I remember watching over lockdown. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why it, it attracted me. Yeah, but even Nate like, did a good job. Did Nate run that? Yeah, or um, Nate and a whole group of people, like mm. everyone hooked in to do it. But what it did, it was had a bit of fun and mm. it was on a time slot where like my wife would watch it and my wife's my hardest, harshest critics. Uh, <laughs> critic. um, but she actually thought it was quite funny because it like, would crash. Yeah. And, but they did keep going and, you know, you know, there was a bit of fun there. So, um I suppose we evolved from that and we stayed relevant where a lot of lot of things didn't stay relevant. We kept a, a, a fixture going. Yeah. But coming out of COVID, that was probably where we were starting to get this really, like we were just starting to hum and COVID hit and set us back a year and a half. So all the hard work, and it's not just me, we've got a great team. Like um, he'll probably kill me for mentioning, but Jamie Black, who's our head of commercial, and we've got a great partnerships team with Mitchie Kane and Shaney Rudgers and, and those some passionate people in there. And we were all on this same journey of we, we need to tidy up this commercial program. And then with these new owners, they're actually investing back into marketing and we've got growth in digital. So it doesn't happen overnight, but they're putting fundamental blocks in place to grow the sport. 
how do you, you can't grow reach without investing. So yeah. they're challenging the networks to look after us again and they're investing in digital, investing in marketing, but you can only do it in small steps because the money runs out pretty quick. So um, they're, they're getting there. So um, I, I think we're probably a year behind where we should be, but that's probably more COVID. Uh, but you just got to look at the numbers. Uh, the, the crowd numbers are up. The corporate hospitality numbers are going well. And I feel the fan engagement is getting better and they're more focusing on the drivers now. If you think now the changing of the guard, you've got, you know, Will Brown and Brody, Brody who are, you know, mixing it up with with Gizzy and, and Brock Feeney, but there's other guys on the grid, Chazzy Mostert, and those personalities are coming through. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest halo effect is drive to survive. Yeah. I see my 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 take on it after after obviously people have seen Shane over in NASCAR yep. is they could actually more so focus on the – they could watch the NASCAR broadcast and focus on that driver thing, that element. Do you know what I mean? Even before, which I reckon was great back then in the NASCAR days, even I think they had the rain out in one of the NASCAR races recently. They literally had like an hour show because it was rained out the next day, so they had to make up content for a full hour <laughs> yeah. on just about drivers and they just had a race hub and they were just talking about drivers the whole time. But it creates that character and aura around the drivers for when the lights go out, you know everything about – you know, what socks they're wearing to one underpants or yep. who's their girlfriend on Instagram. Do you know what I mean? Like, and everyone knows about them. Yeah. They speak to any of that. And, and uh, I mean, obviously my role, you go into companies and you got to try and educate people on the sport. And as soon as you start to talk about, oh, you know, my, my wife really follows or my girlfriend really follows F1 now. I didn't know how good the sport was and I know the drivers and, they, you know, and so that halo effect of, Putting motorsport back in, you look at Formula One now in the US, like they had a few attempts and it would it failed, and now it's massive in the US. They just hit the mark right with that. Now we probably couldn't replicate that, but definitely the focus on motorsport is back. You know, we're we're, we're sort of back in the in the shiny lights, and also I think the ball sport codes, and I, you know I can't bag them out, but they're becomes so clutter it's all the same where mm. we're developing things that are a little bit different you know yeah. with with a new car and a few other things i still think we've got a long way to go i think we can mix up and again i get in trouble but you know mix up some of the race formats a bit more and you know probably get a bit more biff and bar well i was actually come. i was actually going to ask you craig because you said eventually you'd love to run like supercars as the boss as the head yeah. man what would you do to change like to entice more people because i've literally just asked that just as a general fan to people on this show before, what would you do to change supercars in your own way? Because it's just a, it's a forum here. You can say yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, look. Um, there's, and they can listen, by the way, your bosses. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> sorry. No, I don't think there's there's huge amounts to change. I think it's just more, I, I think, less education, more action. Yeah. So I, you look at Grand Prix, for instance, four short races, it was chaos. Mm. But you had you on the edge of the seat. So um, I, I actually think shorter race formats. Yeah, would I be agree. really cool. Yeah, um, and you know, one day events. Yeah, you know, like Sydney uh, again. There's money and TV rights and all that, so it sounds simplistic. There's so many more things, but imagine. I don't know if you guys grew up with. I did the old uh, Oscar NASCAR, the Twilight <laughs> events, where no. it was like literally sweet racing for four or five hours that went into the night. And guess what? Sunday you're at home. You got the whole day at home. Uh, we had George Elliott on here, so yeah, yeah he did. It. Yeah, 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 George yeah. Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Those. Yeah, Don't listen to that. One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I agree. Like, I reckon the whole NASCAR format would yep. would be fun. Yeah, 
And there's also been like, you've seen, I don't know, this is just random stuff I see on the internet because Brooke knows that I love a little bit of YouTube. Um, there's been like people going, oh, do you reckon supercars could race on dirt because NASCAR does it? You know, there's a lot of things out there. There's even like, you know, how they've brought back North Wilkesboro in, in NASCAR again. Could they do that with Calder? Yep. There's a lot of things that could happen if there's you open so Pandora's you box. Do. You just got to think outside the square a bit. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because you've got so many personalities with their own invested interests and there are things that go with it. But I just think, you know, like sprint events like Tail and Bend and um, even Winton, one-day events mm. under lights or, you know, just to make it easy because it's it's an expensive day and it's hard to get. And one-day events that are shorter will engage more families because it's bloody hard. You know, like imagine um, carrying around a couple of kids that get tired and cranky all day. You know, if their first experience isn't great, they may not want to come back. But imagine if it's short, sharp, bang. Oh, that was really good. Like, fantastic. I'll come back again. So only simplistic changes to start with. I'd love to see a summer series too, but that's all pie in the sky. Everything costs money. But I I really think, you know, more starts, more finishes because where the hell's the action? Normally on the first opening laps. That's literally what Brooke always talks about. Like when, when she wants to turn up, like she wants to see, you know, a general fan wants to see action instead of waiting around. We get that. that at Speedway, and I yeah. say you don't get that at Supercars, which yeah. is it, it's like not not like bad. I want to like totally like I still enjoy it, but <laughs> but it was, it's different. Like you rock up. That's but the Speedway has its own problems next door in Sydney, whereas other venues are great. Imagine if they kind of because you know you see Cam Waters and others sort of going between the two. If we started to like leverage the two and their sponsorships and that because that's that whole dome over there that's naked of sponsorships, which I still find very weird. Um, <laughs> the whole thing's just land i know they're working on it but it just between the two because you're having those one nights that at the speedway but then you could have the other night at the supercars and sort of like igniting that off but also in general i find i say this to dan the marketing's not it a lot of people don't even know supercars is on like i'm talking to people in general at work because we're in i'm at rebel we're in a sporting environment and everyone like you said knows the f1 now and it's crazy everyone's across it like but legitimately it wasn't just for the show i'm talking to others who are like they'll say look the show did bring me in i wasn't into it before that but now i watch it religiously and they were watching last weekend's race in hungary and that and talking about it but then i was asking others like oh what about eastern creek this weekend they're like what's on at eastern creek this weekend and i feel that we see it because we follow and everything. It's in the ads and that coming up on my social media and that for the night at Sydney. But it's just, I don't know, there's something about it that's not being seen for some reason across the board my, for the general public. My favourite generation of supercars was when pink was around. Yes. See, yes. That, I know, I know Sando. Everyone knew it was on. So, we're, yeah. We're, yeah, as you said, like Sando was a big influence back then. Yep. Do you reckon that even just like a simple ad or something like, or a speedway, maybe you have to need to bring that old school media. It's coming. Yeah. Like there's a lot of work in progress. So, (laughs) but it all, again, it all costs money. Yeah. um, You know, I think there's been more marketing. It's getting better, but I think there's a lot of, like it's hard because a lot of people openly say you're not doing enough, but there's so much that goes into building those plans and formats. So we have a, we actually have a new marketing manager at, at Supercars and, there's some things that she'll bring into that influence. So there's a whole there's a whole host of things that are happening and coming. So, yeah, don't worry. The heart's in the right place and that direction is we need more noisy market. Yeah. We need to educate more people. Events are on um, and it will come in time. Yeah. And it's also on the networks. You know, at the end of that, networks probably need to do a bit more about 
you know, you know, supercars on seven. That's always the same thing. They just might need to, you know, you need to. It's like, oh gosh, it's been done. Let's think funky. Like first time I was impressed was in towns we had Ministry of Sounds. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, like, yeah. Finally, uh, but um, <laughs> so yeah, and there's lots more coming. You know, I think obviously Adelaide do a, a good job at trying to revolutionise as well, but um, everything costs and and everything takes a bit of time. So yeah, you, you're right. Um, if I was to one day get the the hot seat, I'd probably have way more grey hairs. <laughs> but just little things, I think. You, obviously, you listen to your competitor because without the competitors, there is no sport, and they'd have yeah. to have buy-in. But I'd love to see more starts and finishes, yeah, um, because it keeps the young fans engaged. Because um, you don't need like the the fuel strategies and all that are great, but at times it's boring. Mm. And I'm a fan, and I get bored. But I, I, Formula One's the same. I get bored with that. Yep. You know, yeah. Max is walloping out in front. Yeah, of so, <laughs> like with that. I mean, I'd get. I'm going to get absolutely smacked for this. Bring back the reverse grid, hey? Can't say reverse top ten or something. Yeah. Yeah. Dash for cash. They oh, it was day. literally yeah. Because yeah, I've had Mount Rose on here as well before. Like, yeah, I agree. The I used to like in the nineties. You know what I mean? When you you, yeah. you said you loved Peter. You know, the, yep. you grew up with Peter Brock. They had the heat races. They had the yep. privateers. The dash privateers for cash. Cup. Yeah, 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 like. Yeah. I understand. I now understand it's different now because it's just a whole different business. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Maybe they could do a summer series. Like I think that's a great idea. To be well, honest, I'm thinking. Here's my thought. And all sport is about TV and commercial, AFL, the whole lot. But there's probably got to be a, a really healthy mix of sport versus entertainment. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, I think sport's still outweighing the entertainment. So if they can level that up, it's going to be better for everyone. And it's coming, but it's taking time. Yeah. 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 What do you reckon, Brooke? I definitely agree with that one. I was gonna, <laughs> but I think that's happening across, everything. you know, yeah. everything. You know, even like we can go back to NRL, all of it. It's not just cars. It's yeah. a lot. Well, but a lot of it was also, you know, it was all in upheaval and dishevelled since COVID and everyone's trying to refine their feet because a lot of people lost. This is These were industries, if you look at the entertainment industry and the sports industry, yep. lost all the jobs, lost everything. And everyone, some people just went to totally different careers, like walked out and that. So it's now trying to find out who's where and everyone's trying to pick up again and budgets and everything. Well, now actually, I'm sure I've got to ask you, Craig, this, because now we're back in Sydney. Yep. Sydney was literally in COVID Groundhog Day. It was, yeah. <laughs> awesome. does that, does Lucky you're in SA. How did you actually, were you here the whole time for those? No, no, because no. No, no, we were locked out. Oh, so who, so yeah. was it was remote, was it? How yeah, it was working? Yeah, we had uh, skeleton staff. Okay. So some stayed on the journey for the whole time and then depending on what, like we flew some people into Queensland who could do it. Yeah. I was in Adelaide. So like literally if I come to an event, I was looking at my watch and my phone. And you know how many times I got sent home? I was at Bathurst, get on a plane, get home. They're going to shut your borders again. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we look, yeah, hats off. They did, look, it burned a lot of people out. We, we've actually lost a, some good people because it just burnt out. Other people found different lifestyles and different ways to go about it. Um, yeah. A lot of people stayed as well, like, but um, we, I mean, even in our little department, it's we've come out a tougher finding people with good history or cred um, and also that, you know, unfortunately the, the work from home thing is is sort of, it, it's almost like a hangover it, to try and get people to want to keep working in the office is hard um, and then to work away is hard as well. So I think, uh, and, and that's not just in our, like you look at the big banks and they're forcing people to come back to work. I think everyone got a little bit comfy. I spent some time in Melbourne the other day and the, the, the town's still like a ghost town because. I heard that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's horrible. I'm like, Jesus, like. Yeah. Um, 
Is there main streets that she just like boarded up in a way? Like nah, not that bad, not, not but that definitely bad. very quiet or yeah. lots of shut shops. And um, mate, Melbourne was the, the, the place to be back in the day. And mm. I'm like, Adelaide kills this, you know. <laughs> and Sydney's bounced, but I think Sydney's been yeah. Most amazing. people are back now. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's if anything, there's yeah. the fight. Everyone going, I don't want to be full time in the office, and yep. a lot of offices going, you will be full time. <laughs> you know, there's. I mean, obviously, I think we've become all more efficient and better off. Through COVID, yeah. I think so. It's made us appreciate a lot more, but it also feels like we've sort of picked up and gone again. So uh, I, I spoke to someone, actually my brother the other day, and he said, you know, we, we were smashed all the way through COVID. He was kind of jealous that everyone, a lot of people got it. And, and uh, again, it's probably a selfish thing to say, but he's kind of jealous that he didn't get that time to reset because they were so busy the whole because they were essential service. He goes, I'm now shagged, you know. Um, he's, he's your twin brother, isn't he? Yeah. What yeah. does he do? Um, he's, uh, they're in like tools. So our background, family backgrounds, tools. Um, so, um, they're, uh, I don't know if you know, like steel, steel shops. So yeah, 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 and all yeah, that. yeah. So both my brothers are into that. So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the black sheep. I never got into tools. I stayed in cars and hustling. That was it. Did yeah. they race? Did they race at all? Have yeah, they done any yeah, racing? Yeah, yeah. Troy, um, he got into it a little bit later. He actually raced Utes a couple of times. Oh, um, yeah. I remember Troy. Yeah, yeah. I remember Troy and racing. Then, uh, He's just sold his XL because it was getting way too expensive. It was the most world's most expensive XL. He was on bloody <laughs> dinos and flowing heads, and you know. And I said, dude, you just you're not enjoying it. Like you really yeah. do enjoy it. And you're spending all this money, so you got to offer he couldn't reviews. And he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's been forced into retirement, but he's definitely focused back on his business. And he's actually talking to me that we, we might come back and do an XL enduro later in the year. Um, and then my older brother, he Mark, he's sort of. Was going to get into karting. It was actually a handy, handy go karter, but nah, never, never really got into it. So yeah. So hang on, your brother's done. I was, oh no, so that's that's what I was going to bring up with the XLs. Yep. Back then, because everyone was getting bored, that's what I was trying to get to. You, Triple Eight started yes. building cars too. Oh, that was there, one there was, of those cars. A mate of mine's got one. Yeah, beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> there uh, was that period in in, in lockdown where yeah. that everyone was just getting yeah. bored in Excel's with the cars to yeah. like Dane Rowan, yeah. Dane yeah. Nash Morris. Yeah, they were driving them and having fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a great category, but it's like anything. They the competitive nature got into everyone. They just yeah. keep spending cash. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of like obviously with the Toy Eighty Six series coming through? Um, so you reckon that way, what Brooke was saying at the start of the conversation, do you reckon that's where the untapped talent's going to come from when, you know, Brody or Shane or whatever go overseas, that's where they'll – will it be quicker though? Will, will, will there be like a kind of thing in NASCAR where they just jump from like a, like you know, truck straight to the main game or do you reckon they'll just – No, I think a lot of the – I think if you were smart, you'd, you'd still go – if I was doing it again, obviously 86 mm. – Utes, uh, and, um, it's not a sales pitch here. I think you've got a lot of real estate there and they run a pedal box the same as a supercar. They've got adjustability with brake bias. They've got – and it's a big, heavy car. That tyre goes off really quickly. So, you know, if you look at your pro- progression, you you jump out of an 86 once you've done that program because that's an amazing program and, geez, it's competitive, into a ute maybe mm. for a year, get some good sponsors on board because it's a cheap category to run. It's actually really cheap. Um, and then I just look at Super 3 right at the moment and just have a look at probably three or four names there. Holy moly, Young McLeod is mm. exceptional. He's in the Datsun or the Nissan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they're a bit of a weapon, but you've got Young Nash and, and obviously now you've got a Young Kelly in there as well. So you've got that next generation. So if you think 
you got some wise people who have sort of actually, and then a mate of mine, Jeremy Gray, his son's Ryland's doing really good in 86. So he's now been picked up in the Tickford Academy. So mm. you just see there's this natural progression. I reckon probably Angero ran in Ute, so he knows that career path too. And I reckon you probably get his young lad in the Ute every now, like uh, it's inevitable is, he might is have Tick, a run too. Is Tickford going to run Gray in Super 3? Is that the, how is it going to work? Or is he straight know. to Super 2? Probably test uh, maybe next year, yeah. I reckon, because he's going overseas because he did really well in New Zealand as well. Yeah. So the Super Utes, they're um, six. Yeah, yeah. They're, so They're not, not sequential. No, nah, six-speed h pack. Yeah. So it's the same gearbox that was in the old Ute. Yeah, okay. same Clutch set up. And obviously we went to – it's an LS. They're all LS engines now. So very similar to what's in the supercar, but obviously a level down. So they're all AC Delco, GM, crate race engines, Haltech. Um, engine management and control clutch, control gearbox, tires, brakes, wheels. Um, they're pretty good. You know, like they look, everyone keeps thinking about, oh, they're not the old Utes, but you're not going to get them now. They're, they're, they're sort of in the past and they were awesome. Um, and although this started bad with the diesel set, don't worry, I was in it. It was horrible, um, <laughs> horrible, horrible. Um, not, I think the, the, the concept was there, but it was just not great. So, you know, Unreliable. You don't yeah. want five cars finishing a race. But it's generally there now. Like I think this weekend, again, with 21 cars, it's a big field. So who knows? Yeah. Be good. So I've got to ask the family questions. How did you meet your wife? Jeez. Um, oh, uh, through uh, some mates at school. Met her at a party. She abused me and I fell in love. <laughs> so you guys have been like high school sweethearts? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I met her when she was 17. So oh, wow. there you go. I was 18 and it's just a love story. Just beautiful. <laughs> no, no, look, we, I mean, she's she's been really good for me. Obviously, she's been along the journey the whole way, so really supportive and she's a hard nut. Um, but, um, yeah, she's good. You know, we've got three young boys now and we're, we're going all right. How old are your sons? Uh, oldest is 14. Yeah. And then we, we got them done pretty quick. So it was like a production line at one stage. With, uh, <laughs> so 14, 12 and 10. Any yeah, okay. interested in racing? Yeah, they were racing carts for a bit. Um, yeah. But they're so busy with their school and club sport. So yeah. this is why I get in trouble on my way this weekend and my poor wife's got, you know, three to three to six games a weekend trucking them around. Um, so, but I wanted them to concentrate on their school yeah. and their school sport because I think it's really good for their personal growth. Yeah. Um, and then, I, you know, we, we had the carts. Young Sammy was driving and he was enjoying it. The other two were a bit young at that stage, but he wasn't really enjoying it. And I didn't want to be a dad to push him. I, I actually went back and did, how's this? I, at 37, I made my debut in sprint ca- cars. Really? Yeah, sprint, sprint carts, carts really? Yeah, I went back and did the state championship. Yeah, Bloody what f- class? Uh, oh, don't, don't laugh. Uh, 125 restricted. Oh, that's yeah, fine. A yeah. lot of people compete. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, I did that. I went and did open. I got my ass handed me on a plate. I ran <laughs> mid-pack. Uh, but I ran an old car. Like, it was yeah. pretty old. Um, I don't blame you, though, but they do hurt your body. Oh, like, shit. Like at our age. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> but it was good. I was running up at the podium quite yeah. a bit, uh, and that was pretty cool. And um, so I did that so I could work with Samuel. He could, yeah, he could, yeah. And he enjoyed it, but um, that was small fields, and I was doing it with a really close mate of mine and his son, and then his son went back overseas, and it sort of took the sting out of it for Sammy because he didn't have his mate there. Um, and also I started testing during the week and getting real serious. I'm like, what am I doing, you idiot? So Was George Gutierrez at the track with you? Nah, no, no, no. He wanted me to get out there with him, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, he probably beat me that too. But um, 
I ended up getting rid of it all, to be yeah. honest. So I thought, bugger it, I'm done. I hung on to one of the kids' carts and I just said, when you want to get back into it, you come and see me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is any of the kids, though, is into any other sports, though? Like, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. not pushing, like AFL? Um, I, I know it's big in South Australia. Yeah, AFL and soccer. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and they're all sporting buffs. They watch every single sport. Are they watching the Matildas at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're watching that. They wanted to go. We didn't get there, obviously. They know all the numbers and names that they tip and – they're right into it. They watch a bit of supercar too, I think, yeah. and that's why I think we're on the right track. I know this is really funny, but I'm, you know, I always say the people closer to you are your harshest critics, mm-hmm. and my kids did not want to know about supercars. They'd always thought it was boring, and, and they love utes. They love yeah. the utes. They're like, Dad, they were cool. I hate the new utes, but that's okay. They're getting better. <laughs> um, but they got on board through COVID. Yep. They actually taught me how to use because I was actually the driver standards officer. Yeah. That sucked. I was copping it every week. Um, so my son helped, helped me set up all the uh, Twitch feeds and got me all oh, that. And he was only quite at least three years ago yeah, now. Yeah. So he was only sort of 12 then. Um, but then from there, they fell in love with the Gen 3s. Yeah, so right. now, like, I took um, Harry, my youngest, and he loves Chaz Mostert. Mm-hmm. I love Chaz Mostert. And then Zach, my middle child, loves Cam Waters. Yeah. Loves him. Um, and uh, I remember taking him to meet Chazzy and he got a handshake because I'm never going to wash this hand again. <laughs> so they passionately follow yeah, him, right. you know, and they follow a bit of Formula One. And, and so the tides are turning, but I'm letting that just naturally. I'm not yeah. going to push it. I don't, I don't want to be one of those dads. I just, yeah. you want to get into it one day? Cool, let's do it. Yeah. I've got to ask though, you mentioned about anxiety ages ago. Yeah. How did you like handle it? Because for me as well, like I have autism and a bit of ADHD and anxiety. I've got that too, ADHD. Yeah, so I that, can't sit down. Yeah. That's what I mean. And then Brooke has, Brooke's a bit hyperactive too. But, You're just you know, my own special self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like in that racing environment because it's so high intensity and, you, you know, you have a lot on on your plate. Yep. How do you – how did you like juggle it and keep it down or, you know, sometimes you get into that depressing depressing mode, you know what I mean? Like It was hard. Yeah. yeah. Weekends you couldn't snap out of it. That was the hardest thing. I, I actually work with um, – Simon Wills. Yep. He's probably one of the most underrated driver coaches you would ever meet. And yep. also it was a sports psych, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. Sports psych was a big one about process and and also like little points to release and then having a routine. I think and you'll see a lot of the AFL players, you still a lot of the AFL players. And he said, you might see this guy's got tape and he's got a couple of letters. And I think, um, like he said, even you watch um, – Who's a tennis player? And he runs the three things on his fingers as well. Um, Hewitt, no. Yeah, no, not Hewitt. Uh, he's he's um, Rafa. Rafa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yep. yeah Rafa. Jim Curry was yeah. Rafa. Um, <laughs> but then they draw stuff on their hands. So there was like they just talked about process, and then with Wilsey, it was more about the you know the driver side, the points and all that. Um, so yeah, it was it was hard, you know, because doing doing multiple roles was pretty tough, but. I think um, I don't know. Like you, you're I mean, number one, you ignored it. But <laughs> later, as you got a bit older, because you had more pressures outside of it, there were more things to try and departmentalize. So family and life and kids, and then work, and then because your work role got bigger, it was harder to just block out and go. She'll be right and jump in the car. So uh, earlier, earlier in life, that was easy. I didn't. It wasn't even a factor at all. It's, it's only later in life it's it's gotten there, but that comes with more responsibility, I suppose. So, when I say juggling it, you you just try to stick to your process. And there were days you could focus on your pro- process and you did a good job, and there were days you just couldn't snap out of it and you did a bad job. But you had to accept that. 
you know. Um, and also the other thing is you, you sort of, when you're racing and you've done it, you think that everyone looks and a result means the world, but a lot of people it doesn't really matter and probably they're the things that you've got to put back to yourself is your biggest critics yourself and I reckon that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from is putting pressure on yourself. Did you have support from um, like in your later years as you were growing in your role at Supercars? Were they supporting you as well, having to be in the car but also doing your role at the events? Like, was there balance and help there for you on the ground at those events? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, it, you know, at times I probably felt I was an inconvenience to them, but at the end of the day my role was at times should be done before we get to a race weekend. Yeah. But it also helped. So you look – the reason they supported is because it actually was a point of difference in, a, you know, in, in opening the door to potential partners and so forth as well. Um, but there was, you know, when we got to those bigger events and when we got a little bit more successful from a commercial sense, it was more responsibility. So, you know, um, they supported a lot where you couldn't chip in, but then also there were there's positives to it as well. So, uh, but, but in a sense, that bloody support, especially – uh, my boss has always been really good, giving me whatever time I need and, and never really once questioned because it was to their benefit. So if, if it ever encroached, then I think they would have pulled it up. They're, they've been great and, and they never enforced a thing on what you can and can't do. Have you had mental health days? Because you're in a high-intense job. Have you had mental health days where you just like need a, a time out to recharge and go again? Um, or, or do you have that mental capacity like Brooke, Brooke does that and Brooke's family seems to do that more than me? Where they just keep going. Some people can just keep going, or do you just go to your boss or one? No, which is silly. But yeah, yeah well, that's going to say when you say that, I was like, I get it from my dad, and I know. Like when we recently moved, I've just had major surgery and wasn't supposed to be picking things up, and I was, Still and you just going, keep going, yeah. going, because in my brain, it's got to get done, and it's not always a good thing. You need to stop and know. Yes, I need Dan to tell me. Like, I remember him at midnight coming to the kitchen and going, you need to stop unpacking now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah and, you know, it's it's the pursuit of perfection, isn't it? You just want to keep going because you want it done. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, I get what you say. I probably should have more time off. But yeah. um, I, I even if I have time off, I'll be doing something. Like, mm. I'll go out and do something around my, yeah, again, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law and all the people that I'm around, they give me a hard time because I don't sit down. I've yeah. always got a project. I'm always doing something. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Can you tell me any Brocky stories because I actually want to know. Like have you got any any interesting ones in the bank <laughs> that aren't too controversial but you can say which were funny oh. that someone may not have heard of that hasn't been on TV? <laughs> no, not really because no? I was too young. Like yeah, I was only right. sort of – this was in the 80s and early 90s. So I was only – Even what your dad – has your dad told you any funny yeah, stories? Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't really say it. Yeah. <laughs> Controversial. Um, all right. No, I, I honestly, racking my brain. I don't have – we used to give him a hard time because he used to pull his pants up really high. That was about it. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, no, I don't – no, unfortunately, I don't have anything good, nothing meaty. Yeah. yeah. What was your first – what was your first – did you ever go to Bathurst at any point in time yep. where – you remember your first Bathurst? What 85. Year was 85. Yeah, the bloody Jags one. Yeah. We, we were actually in the Jag corporate suite. Yeah. And um, I remember being devastated. Because obviously it was a year that uh, I know, again, this is my uh, history and buff. There's two things that were really cool that weekend. Obviously um, the the Peter Brock VK that I don't think was totally by the rules. A car that breaks a timing chain, yeah. 
should not be driven back on a truck. But anyway, um, <laughs> attention to detail. Was it was my brother who was almost eight who told me that that shouldn't be driven up on there. Um, so I remember he broke the timing chain coming through. So that was really cool. Yeah. And then uh, I remember seeing these little M and M cars driving around the track, and they were missing Pulsar turbos. And if anyone close to me knows, I'm a Pulsar nut. So yeah. <laughs> I love I love little. Uh, you know, turbo four-cylinder bangers. So, yeah, there yeah. you go. So, 85 <laughs> was my first time. Yeah, yeah right. Yep. The whole family. Did you did you uh, make it a regular yeah. thing going to Bathurst? Uh, no, you dad said- did. Dad went up every East to stay at the house with him. Dad used to drive the car and the parade and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I went in 85, 89, 91 and then didn't go for a long time. And then my first race there was 2000. I raced there. First time, so that was daunting. Yeah, but it was good. How'd you come? How'd you become close mates with Elliot Barber? Because you're saying you're going to his wedding and that. How did yeah. That um. So, uh, fast track racing. Okay. So through that, the I actually was driving for fast track racing in Utes. So I was driving for a team out of Queensland in Big Gun Racing, and um, ended up getting. Uh, we we're at the Denny Ute Must and had a couple of cold beverages and got talked into coming across to Melbourne and coming to Fast Track Racing and, and through Dave Murphy and, and uh, Kim Jane. So Is this the same Fast Track that has Fast Track experience? Yes. 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 Yep. So they had, they had their own race team. Yeah, they did. Yeah, off oh. the back of it. So Georgie Elliott was yep. my teammate, Kim Jane and myself. And then um, Elliott, obviously, through the connection with Marshall Brewer, that's his uncle. Yeah, so right. I met Elliott through that. He came up and did a ride day one day with us. I knew him before that. He used to hang around. He was only really young. And he came up and did a, we used to do a really big ride day for one of our sponsors and said, do you want to come up and drive? Like there's probably 150 people that we do laps. Are you going to do 300 laps in a year? Yeah, no worries. And um, that's where we met. And we sort of hit it off. He's a good, he's, look, he's he's the most genuine guy you'd ever meet. He's got a heart of gold. He's, look, he's there's a few other guys who are sort of down pit lane who are really close with him as well. But he's a good guy. You know, what you see is what you get. Um, and he's always been respectful and we just – Learn to become really good mates. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of fun when we were teammates, probably too much fun. And uh, he always does a, a really good job and he's really respectful. And, you know, he if you tell him to do something, he says he's going to do something, he follows through and he's a, he's a good good guy. Yeah. 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 So you were saying Marshall Brewer. Didn't Ker- is that Karen Brewer related to? No. 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 Here, so another, Karen Brewer was my teammate. We used to do uh, Supercart. Um Endurance races. So when yeah, she was right. a Castrol Cougar. Yeah, with Melinda Price. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so right. she's Adelaide. She's from Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I thought I thought Marshall and Karen were related, but that's what everyone used to think that. Yeah. So yeah. now Marshall Brewer was uh, Marshall J Brewer. Um, was yeah, he was Melbourne based. He's still going. He's still fit as hell and doing what he does. So I was only talking about him the other day with Elliot. There yeah. you go. I got to ask about. He said the summer series. Um, I was talking to obviously George a while ago on the podcast about this. Do you reckon back then, if NASCAR had taken off in the right direction, had NASCAR sanctioned by the by the Americans over here, do you reckon it could have taken off and had more of a presence here in Australia, or do you reckon it was always bound to fail once Bob Jane basically or whatever, however that happened? Yeah, I sink. think so. Yeah. There was always going to be a sinking ship. Do you reckon, in your opinion? I think so. Yeah, yeah. like we didn't have the quality. I suppose we had the quality, but we needed more ovals. We only had one, and. Yeah. I think the day it was the, the I, I wasn't around. I didn't really know, but you hear stories obviously with when Kim Kim gets a bottle of red wine. You hear a lot of stories, which is good. Um, old pops, but uh, he will kill me for saying that. But you know, <laughs> it, it was it was obviously underwritten. There was a lot of 
money, commercial money around it. But as soon as the, the money stopped going there, the prize money, it got so expensive. So I think it needed more oval tracks to probably get the US to buy into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll really call it Indian and so forth. But, yeah, it's just sad. It, the money ran out basically. So, yeah. We'll talk about the Castro Cougars. Um, obviously, you got the Supits this weekend, who you, yep. which you've obviously been a lot behind. You've got two women in the field now. You've got Holly Esprey and Alexandra Best. Do you reckon it's actually a, like a good thing now that there's more women coming through the series? And Holly's – I actually find Holly quite interesting. Like it would be great once she matures in her career a bit more to come on the show. It's actually interesting to watch her be like her own mechanic. Like yeah. It's, it's actually yeah. a rare breed of race car driver. Yeah, 100%. They'll know exactly, you know, what what's happening. And, and, and like anything, you need to be in tune with what's going on. So I think it's pretty cool. Um it's a hard one. I, I still, I would, I would love to see more, more, and I say women, girls, um, in all all areas of the sport, engineering, mechanicing, obviously driving as well. It's it's just it's bloody hard. Like it's look at look at what AFL have had to do and NRL to invest into really bringing that up to it. I, I don't think it's probably taken seriously enough yet here in Australia um, from a junior level. I think the karting stuff is good, but it's not attractive for a young girl to go karting still, I don't think. So I think probably grassroots is – it probably needs to be improved a bit more to then give opportunities for um, more women in sport. I think having Holly and, and Alexandra in super utes is really good, but they probably haven't had the support from a junior level to be – uh, I'd say be up to speed as quick. You know, it mm. takes them a little bit longer to get up to speed and it's bloody intimidating for them as well. Mm. Big, heavy car. Um, but I'd love to see them go good. My dream, I, don't know, I said this many years ago, I, I want to see, imagine if Simona had gotten the top 10 shootout at Bathurst. That mm. would have been sweet. Yeah, I know. Well, she Leanne can Tander, She can. And Leanne yep. Tander. Yep. Why, like, why haven't we not seen others there? I don't. Oh, she was in supercars. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I look at it. We're seeing a lot of growth in other sports for women like you never thought women would be in, like fight sports. Like UFC, we're seeing it in one championship. That's massive now. They're bringing them on the cards. I train jiu-jitsu. Women are picking up their life, like left, right, front and centre, especially from a very young age. We're talking like five years old and above. And you're now seeing it with the Matildas, and they've just recently released the data where they showed – the Matilda sold out, what was it, like so many significant more seats than the Ashes and Nike sold more in terms of income from the jerseys than they did for the Socceroos when they played here. And it's just showing like they did stat after stat after stat recently in a social media post showing that women's sport now brings in the bottom line, whereas the men's they're saying, well, they do, but they're absolutely taking over. I think the question is with motorsports, I don't know. I feel like they're still... I'm seeing it around the track. There's, there is still, it seems like, barriers to entry in terms of how I, th- I can see this huge changes. They're trying to bring in a lot of programs. But I came through the engineering path years ago, and but not in cars, in different engineering. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem as that there is still roadblocks, I feel like, for a lot of the, the girls there in that. And I think a lot of that still needs to change. But I do know this is a complicated sport because then you've got the money issue, which other sports don't have. So not everyone has the money to step into the sport, which would be. How would you take that as a business point of view? If, if, if it was a perfect world, Craig, how would you actually help that develop? Because you, you've got the business mind. Uh, would think, you start with like go-karts? Yeah, I think investing in in putting money back into scholarships yeah. and actually yeah. getting them through the pathway properly. That's all it needs. 
you know, if you get two or three, like you think about, say, it's like growing a tree and watering, putting a seed in and watering it. If you invested at a young age and gave them support the whole way through the correct pathway where money wasn't a boundary and they had the best equipment, you know, they're going to pop out at the top end and they're going to be, you know, they're going to have the skills. Yeah. And and that's the, the thing. It's money's a boundary. And, um, but it's, look, it's for young boys as well. Money's a boundary. Um, so I think it's from a business case, it's almost investing in four or five young carters yeah. and helping them from start to finish. We'll stop. Do you see, because you're in the sponsorship realm as well, do you see sponsors shy away from, like if they had to pick there in the motorsport realm, say at the supercars level, are they more going towards the males than the females? Because there is also this, I feel like it's a myth. They say that the women aren't as strong as the men and I don't believe that's true in motorsports. I think you can be just as strong and, you know, a lot of it's to do with your reaction times, your mental ability behind the wheel because a lot of it also is having to be alert for a long amount of time that other sports don't have. Do you think that – do you see them shy away from that or they, that doesn't bother them or no, – I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think it's got to – it depends on every brand or every sponsor has an objective. So yeah. it depends on what their objectives are. Um, so yeah, now I think diversity and sustainability are the ones we're, we're always crunching on in, in every partnership moving forward. So um, the hard thing is I don't think they can mandate having a male or female because then you're preferential. Yeah, no. I think you just, if anything, the, the companies will be looking for what ticks the box and if they're ticking all those boxes on on what they need. So if it's social reach, if it's how they are as a brand ambassador, what is the product? And then performance comes into it, but I don't always ultimately think any sponsorship arrangement is based around performance because it, if you're doing a good job in every area, it, it should be fine. And then the, the performance is the bonus. You're already at the top level. Um, so I know, again, I was a roundabout way in answering that, but mm. – I, I don't think there's any boundary for sponsors to go, well, if it's female, we're not doing it. I think as long as they're doing an equal or better job yeah. and they tick their box of objectives, it's not a problem. Yeah. See, yeah. I think Simona, because she's come back here now, but I heard it on, I think, the driver's seat. They were talking about how she was on the cusps. She was with the Kellys. Yep. The Nissan deal was full in full in place, and then they sold the team. They just went in and oh, how did they ha- – yeah, went to a different direction. But anyway, they basically sold it and went a different direction. Then Simona had to go overseas or do something else. If that had a, if that pl- plan had stayed in place, she was at that point where she could have just kept going because she she'd found out that that was it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I think it was pretty close. She was. I think I was talking mm. Triple Eight when. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Imagine if she had gone to Triple Eight and had in Triple Eight's heyday then giving her the same car. You know, like she was running. She she was doing good. Like that, that last Bathurst, she was running well up inside the top 10. Yeah. Um, qualified 11th, I think it was, yeah. just outside the top 10 or, or something like that. I might be wrong. But, you know, as I said, the only way to have, you know, having a successful, yeah, I'd say, I don't know how to say a female project, but having a female, like that would be super cool. I still think making a top 10 shootout at Bathurst, far out. Mm. It'd be sweet. Like it would make worldwide news, but it would like be, Right, we're just as good. You know, yeah. that's that's what you need. But well, I think we almost got there. Yeah. And so it's who's next. Yeah. And that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. 
I reckon, yeah, you're right. With the Simona thing, that that's the last one on the driver's seat. If that had all ha- had happened in place, that would have been just the perfect yeah. scenario well, actually, to show her skills. It might have happened this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah true, because she she's at Pathurst. Yeah, true, yeah. she's with Dick Johnson. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So if they, I mean, obviously they're picking up their form now, but it's say well, it depends on who would be the lead driver. It's Kai or or Simone, I suppose, who's quicker in the in the the practice and the quality sessions leading up to it. But, man, imagine if that happened. It'd be mm. pretty cool. Is Blanchard's having a wild card too, isn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah. With Love, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. You'd probably let that out of the bag. Oh, I don't know. Well, isn't, isn't he there? <laughs> no, no, I'm not letting that. Yeah. Well, isn't he he's oh, with Love. Super... Oh, yeah, Love is, the, Love is one of the drivers. Yeah. 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 TBA yeah. for the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you'd think so because he, isn't he their Super 2 driver? Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, who's in uh, Hazelwood and is Blanchard? Hazel. Hazel and Blanchard is, I think, the other car and then Love's. I think they're trying to stitch together a wild card too. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good to see it. Yeah. Well, Craig, I guess that's pretty much the end of the show, I think. Jesus. We've yeah, actually, yeah. by the way, we should um, tell our fans that we've dropped the Fast Five. Yep. Um, uh, you may have seen it from the from Instagram <laughs> post, but it was too hard to keep up and we thought we'd just make it a bit more different when we came back because they've obviously in a massive change. Brooke and I have moved places, which is why the studio looks a bit different to everyone else watching on screen. Um, and yeah, anyway, Craig, I really appreciate you coming on. And Zoom. oh, well, let's ask you before you leave Actually, who okay. do you think is going to win this weekend? Yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, this weekend, uh, current form, I'd say probably Will Brown. Yeah, yeah, well, he won last time, didn't he? So, well, there's two races, so yeah, I think Will will go well. Um, but I reckon Cam Waters is due, isn't he? Yeah, he's you know, close. we should do, we should right do a top, we should do a th- top three, top three, top so three for each race. All right, so. Will Brown. Yep. Race. This is the Saturday night race. Yes, Saturday yep. night race. Will Brown. Gears. Yep. Uh, let me pick a smoky. Pine Gardner. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yep, he's right up there too. Yeah, Waters yeah. is definitely the Sunday specialist. Yep. Um, what about Chaz? <laughs> uh, no, they didn't go well here last time, did they? No. No, I... Sorry, Chaz. No. And Brock? Um, Brock. Brock Less be- SVG gives him it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, think, I think Waters. I think it's definitely going to be Waters on Sunday with, um, yeah, I think Brock Feeney will be there for yeah. sure. He's been mostly consistent, hasn't he? Yeah. So I think Kostecki will get, you know, if he has a bad Saturday, he always comes back Sunday, doesn't he? Yeah. So Kostecki for me. So he'll keep the orange numbers for this weekend. Will it be Willow or do you reckon it'll be Brock or is it? It's close this year. This, is, this is why yeah. I give credit to the suit. I know, yeah, it's I know very it's a, close. I know it's a bit of a Camaro Cup thing going on, but yep. it is still tight at the moment. Yeah, it's only like what between top three or four, 20, yeah, 30 points tight. between yeah. each of them or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, the dream will be going into the last race, won't it, where they're deciding it? Like, yeah. 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 So, so you reckon Will run it or? I think Will will probably retain it. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be out of those two this year, I think, for the championship. Yeah. But, I'm going to go with, for me, Saturday night race, I will go with Shane, Will and Brody. Yep. And then the Sunday I'll go with, I just don't think the, I just don't think the Mustangs have it around here. Yeah. So yeah. I just think, I reckon it'll probably be. Aren't they getting less tyre changes as well? There's only one you're allowed oh, this yeah. time. There's that new oh, rule. Oh, okay, and it was three on. or something they got at the last one. Okay, maybe you're throwing in that. I thing. am, because okay. there was that new rule, yeah. wasn't there, or something? Is that it they, a, yeah. 
Uh, they yeah. changed it up. I read it on. I think they got less. I don't know. Less tired. Yeah, less tired. Yeah, <laughs> there was like one change or something. Someone said for Sydney. I was reading on Speed Cafe or something. It could be totally wrong with that, but there was something along those lines. It was being reduced, and they said that's where the Fords would have to. Okay. Because that's how they were doing better at the other ones. So I reckon then Sunday, if, throw, I'll throw that in. We'll yep. probably be Brody, Waters, and then Shane. I'd say. Yeah, I think Shane's due to get back up. I reckon Shane could win purely because he's getting a new chassis, apparently. Is he? Yeah, that's what I read in Speed Cafe. We're talking about Speed Cafe. That's car chef. (laughs) 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 It's his truck house chassis from America. (laughs) No, but that's, that's, yeah, it'll be close. That's what I do give credit for the supercars at the moment, Craig. Like, what are you dealing with? It's it's, it's tough competition. Yeah, it's um, it's tough, but it's nice to see others up there too, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. uh, MSR getting their first. First, um, well, they've been getting a couple of pole positions, haven't they, mm. as well, and, and a win, so that's good. Um, t- yeah. Team 18, they win a bottom one. Yes, yeah. frosty one. Yeah. yeah. So I think they'll be – it'd be nice to see them get more consistent results. So they're or thereabouts when they're good. Mm. Um, but they're so even, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So nah, you never have favourites, but um, – it's nice to see, it's nice to see um, like the Erebus cars up there and doing a good job. Yeah, um, it's good. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, cool. Well, I guess that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on. There's no more like fast five, so it feels a bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it was like, sort of, we, we spoke about motorsport, but yeah, it was, it was everything on that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, Craig. And cool. Wait, wait, wait. Do not turn the episode off. It has not finished. We had a little hiccup. Well, a kind of really awkward one. Dan forgot to actually ask Craig about his career. So we're jumping back on. We've got another 20 minutes. You're going to learn about Craig's career in super trucks, which he brought to Australia, his career in utes, and also we're going to get into what's his favourite category of all time, (laughs) Trans Am. And then we're going to get into a lot more crazy stories and Hooli will say goodbye again for a second time. So get ready, buckle up, let's go again, everyone. So, wait, we're not done. We're not done? No, we're I won't not. see you in the racetrack yet. We forgot <laughs> half the stuff, hey? Looking <laughs> through his nose. We're back, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he missed a whole part. But that's I did, I did. I looked through the notes and realised that yeah, I missed, damn, a, missed yeah, a few things. Yeah. So, wait, you were talking about, well, briefly, just having a bit of a break there, you are talking yeah. about the stadium super truck. So, wait, yeah. you got to talk about the American thing because we've, you know, a lot of Speedway and American guys, they just lose. They just let you race whenever. Yeah. If you've got a license, if you've got something from cornflakes, you're all good. But, yeah, you know, yeah. you're all good to go. But yeah, so when you're in America, you basically went over there and tested the car, did you? Yeah, like I obviously, um, we talked a little bit about stadium truck and then um, for everyone, Dan was going through his notes and he forgot a heap of stuff. So I did actually drive <laughs> some stuff, some cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the stadium truck thing was, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to to drive. I ended up um, driving for, well, I was meant to be the Australian series and it ended pretty quickly just with some shenanigans in Darwin. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, after it all finished in Australia the first time, I, I was asked to go back over. So my old boss, who was really close and helping run it, said, come, come across and bring your helmet and, We'll spend a week. So I got to, I went over to, to Charlotte and stayed at Robbie's house on the lake. And um, he has, oh, he's just sold this factory. It's moving out. So I walked into his factory and 
He's got all his old NASCARs, all his old cup cars there. Oh, so he still has them? Yeah, they were just in shelves, boom, boom, all up. Really? Um, his IndyCar that he ran out of petrol on the second to last lap whilst leading yep. was just sitting on the chassis dyno with yeah. dust on it and then all these stadium trucks. But he's built – he had a test track in his car park. Really? Yeah. So – God bless America. God bless America. So <laughs> – Anyway, we were sitting there for a day and a bit. I was hanging out and I'm like, yeah, this is good. And then the Robbie left and the mechanic's like, dude, we need some stuff done. And so I ended up spending three days doing shocker testing, helping. They There was a new guy that was vowing all the shockers and they got ramps there. They just get the forklift, put the ramp out. All right, take this truck out. So we were doing stadium truck shocker testing. I spent three days in the US jumping trucks. It was so cool. And then when it runs out of petrol, just drive it up the gas station. And everyone knew each other. So you could drive the truck through the streets to the gas station. Really? And then he's got this other thing over the back. He took he he was he's now building uh, these little UTVs. Yeah. Um speed UTVs. Mm. And the the prototype, he's got this forest and he's just got a grader and just dug out this track and he took me for a run through. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> the guy's an exceptional driver, like yeah, 100%. Yeah. He's a wheel man. Um, so then uh, Greg Biffle come down. I, yeah. to, I actually got to tutor him in stadium trucks. I'm really? teaching this guy, then Casey Mears. and yeah, All these uh, NASCAR boys. Yeah, it was, and then like, you go out to dinner at night and there's like Joey Logano just over yeah. there. And, and so the loosest – Loosest time ever. Like um, we get to Road America and here's Robbie in a UTV doing donuts in the paddock. Imagine <laughs> if we did that here. It'd be crazy. <laughs> um, and then his son at the time, Max, was only 12 and he was driving the safety car. <laughs> Couldn't reach the pedal. That's all right. Case of water, jammed him up with some uh, rags on his feet. And he's driving the safety safety car at an Indy car event. Really? Yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Holy shit. It's... um. So obviously a very loose – they're loose over there, not OH&S, but it is so much fun because they're just old school. They love – they just love, I mean, cubic inches mm-hmm. and doing cool stuff, and, and that's what it was all about. We just hung out and, yeah. In America, though, you can basically, which is what we've had the Speedway guys on the show – they can, you can basically, t- as you said, you got offered a drive, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in the Trans Am. Well, too, I was going to drive the stadium trucks. I went over, Matty Nolan, a mate of mine, he was actually, he was kind of drive over there, so I went and helped him as well. But they had the spare truck and then uh, Greg come down. He wasn't going to do it, but flew his private jet, as you do, and <laughs> made it there. Yeah. Um, and then there was some Trans Ams there. So I almost got the Guernsey to run a TA1 over there, which is like the TA2 here, but with a uh, different engine. Yeah, right. Because over there, because it's TA1, TA2, TA3, there was, I think, TA1 and TA2 running as supports. Mm. So these ones had, so if it was a Chev, it would have a GM engine. If it was a Ford, it would have a Ford engine. And if it was uh, uh, the Chrysler, it would have a Hemi engine, I think it is. So slightly different. They had bigger wings on them, but Mm. super cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. That's where I first saw them over there. Yeah. So, what year was this around? This was uh, uh, 1780. Okay, yep. yep. So, 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 everyone knows this is pretty recent and this still happens in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, this yeah. isn't like the 80s or anything if people are listening. Yeah. 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 But, like, that whole stadium truck experience to bring them over. And then I still remember the first test in what I wasn't driving them at all. And then uh, I was flying up the Gold Coast to work and they're like, well, there's a spare truck and we need someone to drive it. And the, the, to get your head around hitting that ramp and mm. so the first one you back off mm. and 
because it's all sorts of wrong. And and then Robbie's like, "Can we swear on this?" Yeah, he's like, yeah. You can say whatever. "Fuck, dude! What the <laughs> fuck, you pussy!" That's exactly. <laughs> and so he taught you. Do you just you you actually when you drive it, it's like a um, like a motorbike. Yeah. So you want a little button off, and then as you hit the ramp, hit the accelerator and in the air. You either hit the brake or hit the throttle to drop the back, or pitch the nose. So, but the biggest thing is the way they service the bushes and the wheels. So. Wheels are like 46 kilos each. So if one drops quicker than the other, it would turn the truck in the air. So at times you would be looking at the sky or coming down, you'd be almost thinking you get a front flip and nosedive because the things would move around in the air. Mm. That, would, that was a scare. I still remember telling my wife, I'm driving this because I didn't tell her. And I went up to Gold Coast <laughs> and went out to Norwell for half a day and they said, oh, you know, yep, you, you'll be right. And I... I, I text her all the passwords for every account, yeah. everything, because I said, I think I can die in one of these. And it's not a yeah. bad thing to say. Obviously, um, every, everything's dangerous, but they were, you know, the only thing I've ever driven that put a massive smile on my face but scared the shit out of me at the same time. Yeah, yeah. right. Because I was so out of my depth and it yeah. took me a while. I'm, I was disappointed they didn't hang around because it wasn't until after probably spending time in the US where I actually – Learn how the craft of driving it. Yeah, yeah. Because are they one gear? Uh, no, or they're not? like a um, like an Aussie four speed. Like okay, a, yeah, like a one two three. Like do, 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 like a. Does so the yeah. gears go up like that? Yeah, or, and then yeah, they got a little okay. wand, a little handbrake. Yeah, to right. To rotate them. Yeah, so it for for someone and you drove them with two feet as yeah. well, and the brakes were shit house on them. Um, Every American car, heaps of horsepower, no brakes. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it was it was it was they were so daunting to drive but once you got a head around the style like i was telling you before adelaide i i, I secretly snuck my car home because i worked for adelaide and they're in containers i might have got the trailer and brought one home and i got an engineer to come and fully go through it and we set this thing up like a race car and it was a friggin' weapon mm. like it was the fastest thing out there but overnight it miraculously got detuned yeah. um, but you know, it, when they're in the window and you're at one with it, they were just, just amazing. Like a, such a great experience. So, did you figure out with the engineer how to make them land like straight in a way instead of yeah. like, instead of like downwards? Yeah, the you know secret I mean? like, was the land and the throttle pickup without any bounce. If you had bounce front wheels, you think about two 46 kilo wheels, so essentially 90 kilos. Yeah, you know, of weight, ballast weight that would be lifting up and down. You'd lose your, and that's where the guys like Brabs and that was so good. They they, they were doing it all the time every weekend. They would just smoke you on the landing. and But the other thing you got, you know, if you were compromised in the air, little things like having to hit the throttle when you land, like it was, yeah, out of control. Like, yeah. man, it was for a traditional racer to go and do that. And, look, you know, Paulie Morris did a great job, but it took him a while as well, and he was he was, he was onto it. You know, like he's the smartest guy ever. You know, yeah. we, we knew Robbie had... Robbie's car, and yeah. then the rest had the rest, you know, their cars. So yeah, yeah. I remember one day he swore black and blue that the car wasn't good. This was in Darwin, and the last race, I think Robbie just said, "Fuck it, you can have my car." So they'd swap bodies, <laughs> yeah. and no shit, Paul got in that car and just blew everyone away. Like, yeah, I think he, I remember. Yeah. Was that Adelaide? No, this was no. In, this was in. Uh, it was always staged for Robbie to win. Yeah, okay. always, always. Yeah. Like it was just uncanny that it always get there at the end but it was the show and that was yeah. where Robbie and I think we discussed earlier that you know that mix between sport and entertainment Robbie was all entertainment 
Yeah. Yeah. Excellent will, man. Smart dude, like far out. He was a quite a super sophisticated, smart guy. And this concept of stadium truck was all derived from using a remote control car. Yeah, right. He said, why don't I turn it into something? Oh, the Traxxas cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, that was it. So, and he's very proud and he sticks to his IP. Jeez, but um, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, right. You've got to explain more about, like, so you visited North Carolina, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you explain, like, I've been there on on a NASCAR tour years ago in 2010. But what was your experience of like literally seeing North Carolina? Like it's 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 nuts for a motorsports fan. Oh, it's like the if you think of getting every supercar team, every supercar driver, all living in the one suburb, that's what it's like. You know, they're all it's sort of the hub. So it's oh that up there, that's willpower and so on and so like everyone lives in that. It's quite central for the teams as well. So like you go to Heinrichs and that's like a suburb by itself. It's got its own sports field. Yeah. Um, Henry, and, Henry yeah, Motorsport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then uh, Penske's, um, uh, you know, it's just amazing. It's like this hub of motorsport. Yeah. All it is is motorsport. You go out to dinner and, you know, there's Logano over there and so-and-so over there. It's just so motorsport eccentric. Like it's, mm. it's very cool. Like it's – I can see why, you know, obviously – when you get over there and if you, you you have a taste of it, you'd want to stay because they eat, sleep and breathe it. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about Aussie race cars too, which I did miss in my notes again. Yeah. I seem to like – I got so involved in the conversation before that now we're back here again. But anyway, talking about Aussie racing cars because you briefly raced that for a bit. Um, you were saying that it was it's it's been like a great show, but it, at the same time, it hasn't evolved like other motorsports. And you know what? To my take, because I'm a Formula Four driver, Formula Ford is very much in that similar similar way with the way pe- the way the fans take it. So it's great to watch, but it hasn't evolved where yeah. you know Formula Fords now need the halo to stay up with FIA regulations. Do you reckon Aussie race cars need to change anything to to make? It more or does it more just yeah, be the same just, sport? It just needs a little bit of a, a refresh, I reckon, and, and no disrespect to the to the guys that run it. Obviously, it's it's cool, but it's the same, isn't yeah. it? Like it's always the same. So, I reckon it needs a freshen up, something to tweak. Oh, now we've got the the Camaros and Mustangs in supercar. Do we update the body and change a little bit of the race format as well? Because it's still very cool, but it's it's sort of been the same for a while, hasn't it? So, yeah. it'd be nice to see it. Have a refresh, I reckon. Yeah. What was your take though when you're racing? Like, so you had to go on a supercar and Aussie race car. Like, did you see back then any any differences or any any of that? Did you prefer racing one car to the other back in your heyday? Like, if um, all the cars you've driven, yep. What's your What's your favourite car that you ever driven? Was Whoa. it a supercar or was it a Ute or no, was it Aussie I, race car? Was it a stadium truck? Trans Am. The Trans Am. Oh, wow. Shit. Yeah. 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 Ragging that thing around Adelaide was. The funnest thing I've ever done because yeah. it's, I mean, it was the fastest, but it was loose. Um, you know, it was all basically old school. Feel it through your butt and, and grab it. You know, obviously they probably brought a little bit more technique into it now, but they're old school race car. So fast, four-speed dog box, not a lot of brake. Tire that has grip, but that goes away and moves around a lot and just a freaking cool car. Like that's, I still think it's probably... One of my favourite, I drove the uh, ex Greg Murphy 51 super cheap, the VZ, and yeah. that was very cool. I did that uh, in the Kumo series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was fun. That was awesome too. And um, they're probably the the coolest cars I've driven. I mean, the stadium trucks were good. I love my youths. I'm obviously 
very biased towards that. But that was, you know, yeah. obviously. There what was, was your favorite thing. ute though? Was it the old school ute or was it the new one? Uh, super ute or the old school ute. Um, I reckon 2015-16 spec V8 ute was the best. It was so competitive. Like yeah. it was the most competitive. Like if you got into the top 16 and then made it into the top 10, you were hustling. And I still reckon that was how many grids? How many? What? How Thirty-two. Many was, Thirty-two was. Yeah, it? I thought there was forty. I thought there was forty yeah. at one stage. Nah, not that many. Nah, always it was uh, sixteen. So sixteen forward, mm. sixteen hold. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Are they are they trying to do something with that now with the superutes now? Like trying to get an equal amount of manufacturers? Because you were saying upstairs that they're trying to obviously bring more utes in, and now yep. like go kart chassis, those cars are the better chassis to get. Yeah. But they're obviously going to try and build that from. I guess having the old chassis still on the grid while they have the new ones. And yeah, and then there's like not huge block. amounts different. I think it's just they've built them and gotten smarter about how they do it. Um, so and those those updates may filter back down to the older ones, but like obviously our our cars are Triton, and there's a brand new one that's been released. So we're probably going to have to build new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they'll ever franchise. I think the original models maybe to have five for each manufacturer. And look, don't get me wrong. Back in the day when we started the Super Ute program. I was at the head of my own team as well as the category. So I negotiated. We had Holden factory backing. We had Isuzu factory backing and Mitsubishi factory backing. So three manufacturers were investing. And our deal with Mitsubishi was probably better than what maybe some of the supercar teams were getting from their manufacturer backing. So it was bloody good. Um, But it it just failed and there's no no two ways about it. It was was shit. Um, Not in a bad way. The, The... Everything was good there, but the engines, although Craig Hayes did an amazing job, it was the unreliability. We were asking, I think, too much of the engine. Um, And so now I think, and and talking with Luke, and we had a lot of work that we did behind the scenes on it, the the ideal model is probably 24 would be capacity because they're a bigger car. And we're at 21 on the grid this weekend, but there's actually 23 in captivity. So it's pretty good. Yeah, Pretty good, yeah. Is there a reason... You know how, like you said, you love Trans Am and there was that period where it wasn't working with the Utes. Was there ever a thought to bring in the Trans Am and it, to take the spot, like the support category from the Utes and take that over or was that never just an option to... So there was this Ute of the future yep. that Bill and Craig from Spherex were putting together and it was essentially a Trans Am with a Ute body on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Why, why didn't that take off? No comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think right. no. I shouldn't say. I think at the time, and this was before my time working with with supercars. Mm. Um, I think they saw it as a threat. Yeah, because the use for so strong to bring a better product out again. Potentially, it was a threat. Maybe yeah. I don't know, but it was squashed, mm. and and that was probably the started start of the demise of what where the Utes went. Yeah. Um, so there are, I think there are eight already paid for and they were developing a chassis out of uh, – it was essentially, you know, the the, tour, the touring car over in the NZ touring cars? Yep. It was essentially like a, a hybrid between a, a Trans Am and, and a space frame with a ute body on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like and they'd have a four-speed – that was essentially a t- Trans Am, four-speed dog box. Kim James was at the top of it and he's an old NASCAR nut and yeah. he was exactly – he had the recipe right. Yeah. It was going to be – Pretty epic. Like we're all invested. Like we'd all committed. Um, I'd actually was working with Volkswagen, and we were pretty close to getting really? backing from Volkswagen because we could put bodies on them. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, we're getting close. This is the stuff that you don't hear. This is yeah. what's great. Yeah. 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 It yeah, would have been really good. Because there's not other, like, there's projects like that, but you hear, like, you know, Viet Sluice brings them out of yeah. all these, you know, experimental stuff with supercars, utes, and other stuff that just never come to fruition. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was was the Gary Rogers ute, V8 ute back that he built meant to be a... Nah, that's a supercar. That's a full-blown supercar. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, all the running gear out of one of the HRT cars. Yeah, right. So yeah. that was never meant to turn into a super, nah. like into a super. Nah, that ever. was just they built it out of all the leftover stuff. A bit like the um the Sandman that Triple Eight built in a way. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. And the Monaros obviously were really good too. Yeah. Um, but even like the current Utes now, like the plan is in the future to go to a common chassis. Yeah. So that would make a, a little bit. Uh, Cheaper because yeah. obviously they run the ladder frame and obviously they like any production car it's it's more expensive when you have a crash mm. so eventually the aim would be to to like bring a a V eight or a super Ute of the future and develop a common chassis underneath and then you plonk the factory body on which would be the ideal outcome yeah yeah is there like a start package to like for the Utes like you know Holly's coming this weekend yep. it's been a fair few yep. Is there like a – you were saying like you were talking about earlier in the podcast, like a budget to come in straight away. Is it – what's the budget for that? You don't have to say the exact uh, number. No, but well, Luke's – obviously we're always trying to bring new competitors in. The, yeah. the hard so thing say, is, if, say if you wanted me on the grid, yep. for example. Yeah, look, I reckon the ultimate uh, thing, arrive and drive, is probably yeah. – it's under 20 grand for okay. a round. It's yeah, pretty right. good, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it's a good buy. Like yeah. you look at where the old utes were, they were sort of around about uh, – it's obviously all relative to crash damage, but yeah. – um, between eighteen and twenty grand. Yeah, right. Yeah. Twenty grand for the round, and yep. you're going. Yeah. yeah, arrive and drive. Yeah, Just right. bring your helmet and go driving. Very yeah. different to supercars. Yeah, <laughs> super two and yeah. three. I'm yeah. talking yeah. about <laughs> six rounds. Yeah, it's you know like you could run a year for uh, you did it well. You could run it very cheap, and that was the goal. Sitting down with Luke when we took it back over was what are our what do we want to do with it? Not that I have a lot to do with it, but I, mm. I help steer the ship a little bit. Yeah. You know, you need to make it affordable, entertaining, and desirable, and we're we're starting to get there with it. Yeah. All the things that wasn't, yeah. it wasn't affordable, it wasn't desirable, it wasn't entertaining. We're now getting it to be affordable, desirable, and entertaining. And you know what? To to the Super Utes credit, you've I've seen it on their social media, and even I said it myself. The Perth race is great. Yep. I said it to Aaron Borg. Yep. I said to Aaron Borg ages ago, a few years ago, like it when when COVID hit. There was a few good races there that, you know, was mixing it up. So for 20, 20 grand around, it is pretty good. They're, they're the mottos you should always run by on a, any category. Yeah. You know, it's got to be affordable. Without competitors, there's no racing. Yeah. You know, without desire, there's nobody who wants to get in and do it. And then without entertainment, you've got no fans. Yeah. So, yeah, simple. Cool. Yeah. I guess that'll wrap it up then. I guess. Yeah, yeah, wrap we'll it up now. Wrap up for the yeah. second time. Yeah, <laughs> this time it's done. Yeah. 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 Well, um, cheers, Craig, for coming on the podcast and um, cheers for sticking around for another half hour. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank cheers. You. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also find the full episode and highlights on YouTube. Yes, you can see your favourite guests and us on camera. All the links are in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. We'll see you next week for another awesome episode.